Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name's Ryan. My name's Brent. And on this episode, it's good and it's great, and what's more, it's right. It's SST 261, The Cruise Intrusion, all, part three, Scott Reynolds edition, part two. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> How about that? Yeah. How about that? Yeah. yeah. So we've got just Scott a little Reynolds. confusing. Yeah, yeah. No, we've got Scott Reynolds back on the show again today. It's just an awesome interview. Mm-hmm. Very cool that we have him on twice. But I thought before we get into the spiel's brand, it's actually not a bad idea to remind people why we're doing the cruise intrusion. So if you could, just to put you on the spot, can you remind everyone what is SST? 261 what is that catalog number oh right yeah good one as far as we know nothing so again we're going to be seeing a lot more of these blank catalog numbers uh i I mean if anybody out there knows anything about these these numbers maybe like what was going to come out or or even if something did and we just we can't locate it but yeah as far as we know that nothing came out on sst for for catalog number 261 and there are some catalog numbers that will come up where we believe something was actually slated to be released, like someone was dedicated to that catalog number. And we'll obviously speak to that, but yeah. kind of like this one, if if there's no actual release, uh, might be time for a cruise intrusion. Yeah, well, you're going to hear about one of those releases in the in the interview, Fast Gatto. Yeah, exactly. And in my, uh, my follow-up spiels. Okay, okay so... Let's get into some spiels, and I just got to warn you, Brant, because I believe next episode we're going to do our top 10s in SST Roundup, I am ultra cramming in the spiels in this episode. I've got a mega list. Okay, go, hit me. First? Yeah. Ooh, okay, here we go. So um, I just want to make sure that you know about some tunes that have uh, come out or are coming out soon. One is by Jay Robbins from Jawbox and uh, many other bands, Office of Future Plans, Burning Airlines. He recently released a digital EP called Three Masks for Halloween 2023. It's three covers. One is an Ensorzined Neubauten cover. One's a Velvet Monkeys cover. One is a government issue cover. And of course, Jay was in government issue for a while. Hopefully, there is a physical copy one day of that. But for those into the digital stuff, go check out Jay Robbins' Three Masks. Hmm. Nice. I also want to mention uh, this label that I stumbled across called Solid Brass Records. And I want to tell you why. They re-released the entire Shotmaker catalog on a 3LP box set recently called A Moment in Time, 1993 to 1996. Now, Shotmaker were a Canadian band. They were sometimes lumped in with emo, post-hardcore, or noise rock, but I just love it. It's hard to find, but not anymore, because you can get it all on this 3LP box set. And Shotmaker, back in the day, shared the stage with bands like Los Crudos, Unwound, Rorschach, Propagandi, Clickatat, Ikatawi, Fugazi, just to give you a sense of the types of bills that Shopmaker fit on. Um, it's great. And while you're at the Solid Brass Records website, as I was, do yourself a favor, like I did, and also order the comp from post-hardcore band Grain. This uh, band, Grain, is from Cleveland. We'll Hide Away, the complete recordings. That's a great record I picked up. And then also a, uh, a record by Poison Arrows is on there, Crime and Soda. 
Poison Arrows from Chicago with Patrick from Don Cab. This is their fifth LP, but it's out on Solid Brass, so pick that one up as well. Mm-hmm. Speaking of reissues, Brant, go over to Blue Fog Recordings and pick up the Youth, Youth, Youth Sin EP re-release originally from 1983 on Fringe product. This is a seminal Toronto hardcore band from 1980 to 1984. Um, This is an official re-release. There is a Youth, Youth, Youth re-release out there that apparently is not official, but this is official. This is Rick White from Eric's Trip, Elevator, Elevator to Hell, all those bands. He's uh, partnered up with Youth, Youth, Youth to put this out. And uh, it looks great. It's also got like a B-side to this EP of all of some obscure or hard-to-find recordings. Actually came out on a Fringe product comp cassette that I have, but great to get it on vinyl here and official. Mm-hmm. I also saw recently there's going to be a new Minor Threat 7-inch yeah. with unreleased tracks from the Out of Step sessions. This is out in January. Can't wait to hear that. And while you're in D.C., check out the Scam no name record out on drag city this is recorded in 1982 to 1983 finally seeing the light of day great mid-tempo melodic punk from that region and now i've got uh, three on the ss tree as well three on the tree brand all right so just announced a new jay mascus record what do we do now out in february the first track can't believe we're here sounds to me like Jay Mascus and the Fog records, kind of, which I love. It just feels like a warm blanket to mm. me, and it's... Like a heavy blanket, maybe? Oh, nice one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it it's unlike Jay's prior uh, solo records, this one is a little bit more electrified with full drums and stuff like that. So this the, the lead-off single sounds great. I can't wait for that. I also want to mention the Wretched Edsels. I don't know if we've ever talked about the Wretched Edsels before, but they've got a track out now, digital only so far, Echo Mountain. And here's the write-up on Wretched Edsels. Combining guitar-driven instrumentals and vocal numbers, Los Angeles band Wretched Edsels take inspiration from surf, exotica, spaghetti western, punk, prog, and country. Members hail from seminal L.A. garage bands, The Last, The Leaving Trains, Brian Jonestown Massacre, Trotsky Ice Pick, M-Squad, and more. And in the Wretched Edsels, this is John Rosewall, Jerry Smolovich, Hunter Crowley, and Doug Snyder. So check out the Wretched Edsels, the new track. Sounds cool. Hmm. And then finally, the third on the tree. Got to mention this. This has been re-released before by Alternative Tentacles, but Superior Viaduct is reissuing the classic Dicks record, Kill from the Heart. Originally released 1983. If you want to hear all about that release, go back to our podcast episode, SST17. <laughs> you want to hear about uh, the Dicks, Kill from the Heart. Amazing record with all-time classics like No Nazi's Friend and Bourgeois Fascist Pig. Yeah, Those are classics, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. So, Go back and check out that. But thankfully, Superior Viaduct is re-releasing. Their re-releases always are high quality and great for this uh, classic Dicks record to have better availability. That's it for tunes, man. How about some books? Oh, there's more. Okay, yeah. Hit me with some books. Yeah, well, I hear... I, I seem to recall in a recent episode, you said you're kind of short on books. So <laughs> yeah, how, yeah, how, about some, <laughs> how about some more? Short on time. That's all yeah. about all I'm short on. 
Okay, so out on Earth Island Books. This is the same press that put out We Can Be the New Wind. This one is called Nefarious Artists, kind of a play on various artists. This one is by Willie Artcore. This is punk, post-punk, new wave, hardcore, and alternative rock compilations from 1976 to 1989. Uh, basically a book on comps, so we're definitely going to get in the comp zone with that one. And it's over 400 pages long. That that one I must have, must have. Wow. Now, I also received an email recently from Bill from Toxic Shock. And so check this out. Bill Sassenberger, or Sassenberger is releasing a book on the label Toxic Shock. And it's called Toxic Shock, Assassin of Mediocrity, A Story of Love, Loss, and Loud Music. And now Toxic Shock, of course was a, a great punk hardcore label that put out records by Peace Corps, Red Tide. Remember Red yeah, Tide, Brent? Sure Ken, Jen Ken Jensen from DOA and Hanson Brothers. The Massacre Guys, so it's on the SS tree, right, of course. Yeah. Uh, the Stupids, who we heard about recently, don't forget, with the Chris Sherry episode. The Inbred, Zero Boys, House of Large Sizes, Hullabaloo, all those great noise from nowhere comps. Now check out this email I got from Bill, okay? Yeah. Here's Bill. You're receiving this email because you were once a customer of ours. Whether it was via eBay, Discogs, Amazon, or Gem, we appreciate it. I thought you'd be interested in this news. Coming early 2024, my biography book that covers the history of toxic shock, a tribute to my late wife and partner that digs deep into how the record shop started in 1980 in Pomona, California, and ended with Toxic Ranch in Arizona in 2014. It includes many rare photos and gig flyers that document the punk scene from our origins, how the Toxic Shock record label began, and covers our branching out to New Orleans and the move to Tucson. It also features several illustrations from graphic artist Brian Walsby, and an in-depth oral history from former employees and musicians from the Toxic Shock roster, such as Decry, Modern Industry, Manson Youth, Massacre Guys, Human Therapy, Raw Power, Hickoids, Peace Corps, Pillsbury Hardcore, Sloppy Seconds, Hullabaloo, and House of Large Sizes, and many more. Read how things got done before the internet and the age of social media. Look for it where better records and books are sold, or write to us directly for mail order information. Thanks, Bill Sassenberger. Wow. So, super pumped to get that one. Okay. No I mean, those are two new books that I'm going to definitely want, but wait, there's more. <laughs> okay. Here's a book called A Really Strange and Wonderful Time The Chapel Hill Music Scene, 1989 to 1999. This is out in April of next year. Hatchet Books, so you know it's going to be good. Yep. 320 pages by Tom Maxwell, and of course, it's going to cover bands like Superchunk, Archers of Loaf, and Polvo, and many more, so you know it's right up my alley. No kidding. And finally, for more Canadian content, Brant, okay? Yep. You want, you want some more Canadian content? You never have to ask me that question. I always, yeah. The answer is always yes. And I know our listeners tune in for <laughs> Canadian content as well. Yeah. Let it all fall. Underground Music and the Culture of Rebellion in Newfoundland, 1977 to 1995. 296 pages on breakwater books. And here's a quote on this book. Beginning in the late 1970s, a new raw sound began to emerge from the basements and garages of St. John's, 
which by the mid-1990s had grown into a vibrant community. With few resources, dozens of bands produced a staggering amount of music. And, you know, like Newfoundland is kind of, you know, Newfoundland and Labrador, I should say, it's kind of like the edge of the world for us in Canada to the east. Yeah. It's like almost in Europe, but I can't wait to read that. I want to read about bands like Da Slime, Schizoid, The Reaction, some obscure Newfoundland punk rock. I want it ASAP. Well, sounds like you're going to get it. <laughs> yeah. So that's it for me, man. A bit of a, a spiel backlog. Got to sneak it in before the top tens next episode. Right on. Hey, I'm batting clean up for the year as well right now with uh an edition of ryan's recommend roundup Ooh, i'm g- am i gonna get some street cred I, to be determined i guess we'll find out here. <laughs> <laughs> all right black elk self-titled mm. 2006 crucial blast noise rock sludge from portland um there's also a second album from 2008 called always a six never a nine after which I assume they, they split up and vocalist Tom Glows formed Ills. Right. This is good. Uh, not as good as Ills, but still really cool. Recorded by Mike Lastra of Smegma, actually. Both albums are up on the Crucial Blast Bandcamp. And uh, if you're on the hunt for some really wild, experimental, extreme music, Crucial Blast is like ground zero. Yeah. Black Elk. Good one. Number Girl, Numb Heavy Metallic, 2002 Parlophone. Yes. Although I've been checking out the 2014 two-CD reissue that comes with a live recording from 2002 where they play the entire album in sequence. Yes. I guess it's like the 15th anniversary edition. You did a bit of a deep dive spiel on, on this band at some point. Can't recall if there was a specific album of theirs you recommended. There's quite a few. Japanese rock, lots of noise influences. Um, You see them get compared to bands like Sonic Youth. Apparently they split up on the tour for this album and reformed in 2019 and then split up again about a year ago. It's really good. Not flipping out for it quite as much as you, but I do like it and I will keep my eyes peeled for more. Yeah, unlikely you'll find it in Canada. You You gotta work pretty hard for it, but it's good. I'm glad you checked that out. Yep. Okay, here's one on the tree. Zeke Fiddler. Mm, yeah. The album's called Waterproof. 1993 Spin Art. Pretty tough to find out too much about Zeke. Maybe you had a bit more info when you spieled about it, but um, this was recorded at a studio just outside of Amherst, uh, and there's connections to, to dudes from there. Um, I'm assuming that's how it ended up on your radar. Dinosaur Jr., yep. yep. George Burrs plays drums on it. He's the drummer on the second Gobblehoof record for New Alliance. Mascus was involved in that one. Uh, that band, of course, features Charlie Nakajima of Deep Wound. Uh, Jay also plays drums on some of this record, this Zeke Fiddler record. Uh, bassist Matt Hunter, who's been in a bunch of bands, including uh, Jay Mascus and the Fog, actually. Uh, he's been in Silver Jews and most recently the Wharton Tears Ensemble. He's on this record. Guitarist Peyton Pinkerton was also in Silver Jews and the Pernice Brothers. Kurt Fedora, who was also in Gobblehoof, did the artwork for this uh, Zeke Fiddler record. It's good. It's got that dinosaur, Sebado, Lemonheads, kind of indie rock, ear-bleeding country thing happening. Um, 
seems like Zeke went into into production work and film and TV possibly. Uh, Zeke's it seems like that's his real name. So that's about all I I know about Zeke Fiddler, but it's a good record. Yeah. Okay, and now we're going to delve into what I'm calling the street cred portion of this week's deal. (laughs) (laughs) So, just so we're clear, no street cred for what you just talked about. No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Pungent, The Blotched Mm. Moon, 2020, Broken Clover Records. I couldn't really find out anything about this project. Looks like they're from Portland. Um, I was able to determine that much. It's really top-notch jazz fusion. No guitar player, but Nicole McCabe tears it up on alto sax and Samuel Adams on keys. And the rhythm section of Pappy Fimbras and Jenny Logan just own the pocket, as we say around here. Mm -hmm. Good recommend. Um, Street cred, Ryan. Yeah, Broken Clover, man. Uh, The Enablers record. That's how I found that label, and there's so much on that label. Okay, I guess that's it for me for this week. (laughs) (laughs) Keep going. (laughs) Okay, The Wildflowers, sometime soon. So you sent me a photo of this LP, I think, way back when I was in Vegas. or I I remember I was traveling wherever I was, uh, and you you urged me to check it out as soon as humanly possible. It, It was... You know, basically you presented it as the mother of all recommends. You probably said something like, you will love this in all caps. And I sure do. Second one, I would say, came out on an under-discussed but important indie label in the 80s, Australian label Big Time. Mm -hmm. This one from 88 was on UK label Chapter 22. And then in 1990, they became the first British band to sign to Slash Records for Tales Like These. Uh, and then one more from 97 called Backwoods. Um, it's kind of folk rockin', post-punk, uh, almost like some of the the stuff by the Waterboys, maybe, or uh, early R.E.M., maybe a little bit. A bit of Jacobites in there, too. Yeah, that's where I was like, okay, there's some tipsy gypsy that Brant might not know about. You must know about this. Yeah. Uh, single Singer-guitarist Neil Cook can really belt it out Almost a, a bit of a Jeffrey Lee Pierce vibe at times. Totally. Yep. Uh, I was trying to find some live footage on YouTube. Unfortunately, there's so many bands with the, with the name Wildflowers, including a really awful Tom Petty tribute band. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they probably have the most views too, right? <laughs> yeah. So a bit like trying to search all. It's hard to find stuff. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, I did up end up watching a, a wicked clip of the cult performing the song Wildflower <laughs> at Brixton, Brixton Academy in 1987 where Ian's wearing like his fur hat. And, oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Russian fur hat or whatever. Yeah, Billy Duffy looks like one of the vampires from the Lost Boys or something. Um, anyways, this Wildflowers Records rules. I need to find more. Perfect recommend, 100% street cred. There you go. Yeah, I, I knew it. And I was... I was worried when I sent it to you if you were going to be like, yeah, I know all about that, you know. <laughs> but it, that's not what I heard. I, I was like, I think I found something for Brent. So I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed. That's my goal. Yeah. All right. Let's get into this record. History lesson, part one. Okay, Brent. So this is our third cruise intrusion. So episode 255, we did our first cruise intrusion, all part one with Dave Smalley as a guest. Awesome. Uh, 
Episode 258 was part two, Scott Reynolds edition part one. And this is Cruise Intrusion, all part three, Scott Reynolds edition part two. In part one, though, we covered the She's My Ex single, Allroy's Avenge, Trailblazer, Allroy Saves, and then uh, the Tony All New Girl Old Story releases primarily. This episode, we're going to get into Percolator and Beyond. Yeah. Yeah. We got one of the best reactions we've ever had to an interview on our first part of this interview with Scott. Uh, so I know people have been patiently waiting for part, part two of the interview. Definitely would have preferred to, to release it as one of, as one standalone episode, but it, it would have been like a, you know, a five hour episode. So, um, although we have some amazing and loyal listeners, that's a lot to ask, I would say. (laughs) Yeah. So releases we'll be discussing on this episode, Cruise 22, Percolator from 1992, Cruise 24, The Dot EP from 92, Cruise 37, Goodbye Harry Food Stamp Barbecue from 1995, and Cruise 38, Goodbye Harry's I Can Smoke from 1996. So when we last saw all, they were touring Trailblazer and All Roy Saves throughout North America and Europe in 1990. And they'd also moved operations from Los Angeles to Brookfield, Missouri, sometime after recording saves in March of that year. In January of 1991, they headed down under for the All Roy Over Australia tour, then back to the States for another insane run of shows, several with a a favorite of ours, Left Insane. We've talked about that band many times, so I, I won't do it again, except to say I still can't believe that their album didn't come out on Cruise or SST. Yeah. In the summer of 91, they went back into Canada and then in August back to Europe. Somewhere between 130 and 140 shows in 1991. Yeah. Totally going for all. Yeah. Around the world too. <laughs> oh yeah, big time. So we discussed the move to Brookfield in the interview and, and Scott can tell it way better than we did. Um, but it, Brookfield uh, was a small, small town, uh, population around 3,500. Uh, Bill's dad owned a house in this, it was his hometown, I think, um, which he'd been renting out and the band was getting tired of living on top of each other. And coupled with the rising cost of living in LA, they made the move out to, to Brookfield. Uh, they were off the road from September, 1991 to April, 1992. And at some point in that time frame, they recorded their next album percolator. It's their first album, not to be done at third wave in Torrance. It was recorded at Chapman Recording Studios in Kansas City, Missouri, and Nightingale Studios in Nashville. Chapman uh, was owned by Chuck Chapman, uh, opened in the late 70s. He relocated it in 2009 to Lenexa, Kansas, about 20 minutes outside of Kansas City. uh, And Kansas City is around two hours outside of Brookfield. So uh, Chuck retired in 2017 and closed the studio after 44 years. Uh, He also had a label, Chapman Records, mainly country and gospel singles. Um, But tons of albums were recorded there, including My Name's 1993 album, Wet Hills and Big Wheels, which was engineered and produced by Bill and Stefan. Some of Percolator was also recorded at a studio in Nashville called Nightingale, which is a bit further. It's about an eight-hour drive from Brookfield. Uh, It would have been a fairly new studio at that time. It was opened in 1987 by Joe Bogan. No surprise, lots of 90s country was recorded there. Stuff like Randy Travis, Tanya Tanya Tucker, 
several engineers listed along with Bill and Stefan on, on this percolator record, Rich Hansen, G E Teal, Eric Flatrich and E couldn't really find out much about any of these engineers, assuming they were all, uh, in-house staff for the, for the studio. Um, it was mixed at the famous ardent studios in Memphis. So many legendary albums yeah. recorded there too many to name. Um, but it goes all the way from all to ZZ top established in 1966, still going today, still a go-to studio to achieve a certain sound and vibe like the stacks soul, uh, sound, I guess you could say percolator was mixed by John captain game boy Hampton who worked at Ardent for 40 years, uh, side by side with the studio's founder, John Fry. He started working there in 1977 after see, seeing uh, mixed at Ardent Studios on the liner notes for Led Zeppelin three, And he worked his way up to becoming one of the, the owners. Uh, he won some Grammys with artists like Jimmy Vaughn, the White Stripes. Uh, he engineered Please to Meet Me, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many more. Unfortunately, he passed away in 2014. It's 61 years old after losing a battle with cancer. So we'll get more info, more into Percolator in History Lesson Part 2. Uh, it was released on May 12th, 1992, along with The Dot EP. Uh, as soon as it was released, they hit the road for the Percolator Tour of the U.S. and Canada, which ran from May 22nd through August 2nd. A bunch of shows with my name, one in Seattle actually with my name and that band Nubbin. Uh, mentioned on the last episode, a bunch opened for opening for bad religion, a few at Jawbox. next over to Europe in September and October, which, by which point, uh, as you'll hear in the interview, Scott had announced he was leaving the band, the band, as we know, went forward with Chad price on vocals. So, so we'll leave the all story there for now and catch up on, on our next cruise intrusion episode. Uh, what happened next was Scott re- relocated to the P- Pacific Northwest, uh, formed a band called Goodbye Harry. Their first record was was 1995's Food Stamp Barbecue, and the lineup for that record was Scott, along with Mike Moen, a.k.a. Mike the Pike, uh, a.k.a. Spida on bass, Art Gillette on guitar, and Tony Reed, or as he's credit, credited here, T. Dallas Reed on drums. Mike the Pike was a roadie for all. Uh, he was from Bremerton, Washington, played in punk bands like Toxic Slaughter, Anorexic Youth, The Lithium Kids, The Sober Phonics, and Neutral Boy. Couldn't mu- find out much about any of these bands, although N- Neutral Boy seems to be the most well-known. Uh, there's a band camp with, with uh, all kinds of stuff um, from Neutral Boy. Many, uh, m- many, many albums. Looks like uh, they might still be going as more or less a solo project of Mike's. Mike, as you'll remember from a couple episodes back, is also the unfortunate subject of Scott's amazing trailblazer story. Oh, man. Look look at you. (laughs) Just looking for an opportunity to mention that again. Yeah. Uh, Goodbye Harry's guitarist was Art Gillette, credited here as Artie. Couldn't really find any Artie action before or after Goodbye Harry. Drummer Tony Reed, a.k.a. T. Dallas Reed, however, is another story altogether. Multi-instrumentalist, mainly associated with kind of the doom and stoner rock scene uh, through his band Moss Generator and his label Music Abuse, both out of the Port Orchard, Washington area. Um, Mike the Pike did the artwork for Moss Generator's 12-inch EP, I've Got Room in My Wagon. Um, So he and Tony are are still connected, 
I'm guessing. As far as I can tell, Tony is from the area, possibly Port Angeles, Washington. Uh, in the 80s, he was in a metal band called Traitor, uh, whose bassist was Damon Ingle, son of Iron Butterfly organist Doug in Agata Davida Ingle. He was also in a band called Constance Tomb. Uh, he played drums in Tree People, circa 1992. Yep. Uh, that band, Constance Tomb, um, their record or their recordings uh, were re recorded um, more recently. And it's kind of gothy post-punk. Um, you can find that up on Tony's Bandcamp page. That's really cool. Um, he played on the uh, the CZ release "Something Vicious for Tomorrow" of Tree People, and then switched to bass for um, and guitar for 1993's "Just Kidding," produced by the way by John Goodmanson of Danger Mouse. So another callback to the Screaming Trees episode. Uh, he's got a lot of uh, other projects you can check out on his Bandcamp. Probably of greatest interest to listeners would be the Big Scenic Nowhere uh, group that he did with Desert Rockers from the Sorta Quartet, etc. crew that had all kinds of ties to SST that we've discussed many, many times. So there you go. Lots to check out with Tony. Uh, he also runs a studio, Temple Sound, in Port Orchard. Uh, he's He produced this Goodbye Harry record. The first Goodbye Harry record was engineered at Greg Ginn's studio, Casa Destroy, in July 1994 by Andy Botwinis. Uh, I don't believe we've seen either of those yet, Casa Destroy or Andy, but we'll be seeing both a ton uh, on some other Cruise records and also a bunch of SST records. Almost all of the Ginn-related projects, when he returned to music, uh, circa 1993, were recorded by Andy at, at Casa Destroy. Not going to going to do a deep dive on Andy or Casa Destroy here. Uh, we will be getting to, into them at some point and hopefully having Andy on the show, at, at, you know, because he either engineered, played on, or, or both on dozens of releases in the 90s. We'll get more into this Goodbye Harry record on History Lesson Part 2. Also, for 1996's follow-up, I Can Smoke, uh, Scott formed an all-new band. Um, this is Goodbye Harry again, their second record. Guitarist Trevor Lanigan, drummer Chris Maggio, and bassist Kelly Mickelson. Kelly was in Tacoma band Sound Color. I found a song on a SoundCloud page called Infrasonic. Kind of bass-heavy post-punk. The song is called City Lights. Check that out. It's really cool. Looked like they had a self-released cassette. He was also in Tacoma band Earl and more re recently Dirty Thieves and the Fucking Eagles. Uh, they have a band camp. It's cool. Has that Northwest garage rock sound. Um, Kelly's been a, a, a sound tech around venues in Tacoma for decades and got to start doing sound for some of the shows we mentioned on last episode at the Community World Theatre. Drummer Chris Maggio from New Jersey. Uh, I believe we mentioned last week... I think it's the same Chris Maggio who ended up in Milo's post-descendants band Milestone, based out of San Diego. Um, at least I say, I assume it's the same Chris Maggio. I wasn't able to, to confirm that, but if anyone out there knows, uh, please let us know. Seems like his formative years were in the Fort Lauderdale, Florida um, area, playing in punk bands. So, so who knows if it's the same guy. He's spoken a lot about how he was a big fan of Bill's drumming um, in Descendants and Black Flag, huge influences on, on Chris. He moved to Tacoma to join Goodbye Harry, 
Um, he, and he's gone on to play with many metal bands. He eventually moved to Louisville to join um, hardcore band Coliseum. Uh, he played on their awesome 2007 album on Relapse, No Salvation. Uh, he was a member of the Boston band Trap Them. He's in Converge frontman Jacob Bannon's side project, Wear Your Wounds. He's toured with High on Fire, Mutoid Man. So pretty wild connection there. And then we have guitarist Trevor Lanigan. Trevor unfortunately passed away in 2019 after a long battle with brain cancer. Trevor was a guitarist in Tacoma band My Name, a killer band with deep ties to all. And then um, post-goodbye Harry, he and My Name vocalist Abe Brennan formed the equally killer Wretch Like Me. Uh, based, They were based out of Fort Collins, and uh, they were the first band to sign, sign to the all Joe Young, Joe Carducci label owned and operated, where they went on to release three great records circa 1997-2002. The, the second Goodbye Harry record was recorded at Cottonwood Studios in Tacoma by Brent DeRocher. Couldn't find too much about the studio. Seems like Brent was probably a Tacoma guy. Uh, he worked at a, uh, on a bunch of Girl Trouble albums, uh, also worked on All's Pummel record from 1996. Uh, the second Goodbye Harry record is also one of the the last that came out on Cruise. There there were just a few more after it. Uh, it's Cruise 38, and they, they put out around 40 albums, so you know basically an eight-year run. So Ryan, that ba- basically brings us up to speed um, and kind of sets the table for the interview with Scott. So should we throw it to Scott? Yeah. Bill has said that the move to, to Brookfield was kind of like, the band would have maybe split up if you didn't make the move. Do you, do you think that's fair? Well, to be honest, I don't know because I was, I was just on board. I just was like, get in the van. Uh, where are we going? I just wanted to play music and be in a band. So for me, it wouldn't have, but Bill, Bill was struggling back then. Like, here's the thing. When I, when I quit all, I had some bad feelings. Uh, Carl and I fought a lot, and I, I one of the reasons I quit was I Bill and I didn't see exactly the same. The music I, I wanted it to go, just keep going the way we were going, like a big mishmash of whatever, just throw it in the pot. And I thought that was our strength. And Bill thought we it would be better if we were more had more of a direction and. So there was a lot of uh, different ideas about what the band should be. And then, but at the same time, I was so disconnected from the functioning of the band. I would like, give me my per diem. I have enough to eat. Uh, Maybe I'll meet a chick tonight at the show, you know, uh, and we'll party and drive around the world. And that's fine with me. Bill's like, I'm trying to have a future. I want a life. Right. Uh, I'm the one doing all all the work. I decide everything about the band. Now, granted, he was in charge. He was he was he would he chose to be in charge and because he didn't trust us to do the right thing, and that was uh, he, he was right. If 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 he didn't, there's got to be somebody in charge. Somebody yeah. has to drive. Plus, it is just that simple. You can't, you can't go otherwise. And you know, I have my band, The Pavers, and I tried to be Bill in The Pavers, and I'm too disorganized, and I'm too, I, I get too wild, and I party too hard, and I, 
I, I procrastinate. And so, so when I left the band and I felt like, you know, some shit had gone down and I wasn't happy as years have gone by, I realize I've, I've realized that Bill was under incredible pressure and I didn't make his life easier. I made it harder, you know, and I have a lot of regrets for that. And then Bill has regrets for stuff and Bill and I have become very good friends. So we, we hang out, I go to his house and we record records and then I, we sit and he makes what I call Bill Aritas. He makes these margarita thing and, and we watch old boxing matches and we talk about the good old days and, and it's, it's cool. So yeah. So I think when Bill says that he would have gone insane if he didn't move to Brookfield, right. he was like, cause we were living in, whereas I was, I wasn't, I wasn't as at the end of my rope because right. I was still the new guy in town, basically. You know, I'd only been in the band for three years or something. Had you been so, to this place already? Like when you were on tour, did you stop there? No, never, yeah. never. We saw a picture of it. Yeah. One picture. Uh, but I was, that's the thing about all that is really interesting. Uh, and maybe more descendants all, but uh, because... Carl, Bill, and Stefan as a unit. It's bizarre that, that, okay, so at the time that we had four people that were all in to live like that. Yeah. I mean, because it was hell on earth. It was hell. Like we didn't, I didn't know where I was all the time. There are pictures of me and I look like I'm dying of cancer. Yeah. I mean, we didn't eat, right? We didn't. You know, and it was constant, and it went on and on and on and on, and it never. You'd be if you you were on a three month tour, and you were a month and a half into it, you'd be like, "Fuck, I have another month and a half of this," <laughs> and I don't even remember where I was yesterday. Where I was in Alabama, I think. You know, and so then we come home and we live on top of each other in this overpriced office space, where, like I told you, where the guys slept behind the practice space. I Bill had a place where he stored his drums. I built a shelf on top of his drums thing above him, and I slept on the shelf in the front of the thing. Yeah, people walk through all day, and <laughs> you know, and so I think I think that's what Bill's partial part of what he's referring to. Also, it was a it was a shitload cheaper to live in the uh, this house in like a lot lot cheaper than to live in South Bay, Los Angeles. So between saving the money and when we got there, we each had a bedroom. It was mm -hmm. the craziest. Like it was, we went in this house and I go, whoa, a bedroom. And I can close the door and there's a lock on it. I can lock the door, you know? <laughs> so I think in that sense, yeah, it probably did save. I wouldn't have quit. I, I, I was. You were still, I, you were still all in. Yeah, yeah. that's my favorite that's one of one of my favorite it was the most intense time of my life mm -hmm. and it was see for me I, i'm very um I, I can't keep i can't keep my i can't keep my thoughts in in one direction uh consequently i do nothing that's like the song no traffic and you know that's what that's about i stay up all night and get nothing done i i procrastinate and i don't my mind just goes 
and it's like next thing you know a year has gone by and i didn't even paint my bedroom like i was going to you know i don't get anything done and on tour it's all unidirectional there's one goal the goal is you know uh, get to kansas city load in at three o'clock go yeah and for me that was so calming even though all the mayhem was going on i was like for once i knew what i need to do today i need to do this and i have no choice but do it because that's where the van's going yeah. and it was it very it, it was very uh almost comforting to go like ah all i have to do is get to the next show got it you know i couldn't there was no uh uh beating up on myself for all i hadn't gotten done that day or any of that it was just like oh nope we're gonna play blondies in detroit yep. see you there you know the tour bubble <laughs> yeah and yeah. and bill and i were just talking about that exact thing the other day mm -hmm. i was up at his birthday party yeah and and but bill didn't get to enjoy any of that because while i was just getting in the van going to sleep he was like who's the promoter what's the next tour we got to figure out oh and i got to call the studio because we're going to make a new record and then we got the master tapes that need to go over to da, 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 da. and me i'm just eating moon pies and sitting on a on a, a wall with bug face you know mm -hmm. and so yeah T tell me about I, living in brookfield like did you make friends with the locals did you did you we, hang out we did. we did uh but i also so i lived in hollywood back when hollywood was like times square it was not like it is now just like times square turned into what it is now times square in new york is like disneyland and so is hollywood now but when i lived in i lived basically like hollywood and vine or hollywood not uh la brea and then like the chinese theaters here and then you know all the way down there is hollywood and vine and capitol records and and back then that was all prostitutes and just it was just a it was awful it was like times square in in the 70s or whatever uh and it was a bad neighborhood and then i lived in my car in lamita where we get rousted by the cops all the time stuff then we moved to this small town in missouri and i want to tell you what i was more nervous walking to the store in brookfield than i ever was in hollywood yeah because the locals just started shit with us they just started shit yeah. uh and that went on for quite a while i don't know if where like i would go there was a place called main stop and it was where you could buy cigarettes and twinkies and shit you know and i would walk to there and somebody would give me yell something or you know so on the one hand, I really liked living there because we come back from the mayhem of tour, and then I, Bill and I would go fishing for crappies or play basketball across the street. But on the other hand, you couldn't be anonymous. You mm -hmm. couldn't just hide out, and I didn't like that. I didn't. I didn't like people knowing that we were those weirdos. One, the first night we were there, first night, Stefan and I went to a a bar and oh i don't know the name of it and stefan well we were sitting there and stefan uh, anyway we were sitting there and he said something about people were talking like basically who are you because it was such a small right. small town right and we said oh we're from la and 
we are a band and we we're renting this house up here and you know and they immediately are like what the and one guy goes only thing ever come out of only thing ever come out of la is fags and aids that's what first night we were there wow and it was like man i wish i was back in los angeles (laughs) (laughs) so it goes both it cut both ways yeah, you know, total cold. Once the used to us, it wasn't as bad. And some of the locals really were really cool and hung out with us. And there were some that used this as rebellion, you know, go hang out with the weird guys from right. L.A. Because right. my parents did it, which we didn't need. We didn't need any of that. But, sure. yeah, it was strange. But it was a good idea. Okay, so recording Percolator in Kansas City. Yeah. Any reason why you chose that studio? Um, Nope. Nope. I was right up, it was close enough, you know, it was fairly close because we were in, uh, we were in the center of the state, center north, and it was on the west side. So it was just a couple of hours. So yeah. maybe it was what it was. They had a really nice plate reverb in the wall back, like old style plate, like Patsy Klein, where it actually vibrates a metal plate in the wall. And it was beautiful. It was really neat. Uh, yeah, I don't know why we went there. Okay, I want to ask you about some of the songs. Charligan, that's one of yours, and I'm assuming you wrote it on piano. There's Yeah, yeah, that was another one where left hand is Carl, right hand is Stefan. Yeah, I wrote that on piano. Um, there's not much more to say. I, I have a version of it somewhere where I play it on piano online. The middle part, the bridge, was one of the first things, first instrumental things I ever wrote on the piano. The that thing I, I wrote oh, over. Yeah, yeah. I used to play it in college when I was whenever there was a piano nearby because I thought it was such a pretty thing. Uh, and then I just stuck a couple things together on the ends and turned it into a song. Yeah. It seems like sequencing wise, the album kind of has like the the poppier songs on side one and then some of the weirder stuff on side two. Do you, you know, the thing about that record that's really disappointing is that. Uh, it has some of my favorite stuff. It has Wonder, which is my favorite song that I wrote for the band. I, I was going to say, people must bring that song up to you. It's it's like a total deep cut of yours, for sure. I don't know. I don't hear a lot about it, but mm. but it's my favorite song I ever wrote for the band. I just it's I great. love the way it turned out. It's fun. And then when we cut to that Dead Sun page, and Bill does that, you know, all the... Uh, he plays a beat that only Bill can play, and I just love that song. Uh, Breathe is one of my favorite songs of all time by any band. and That seems like one of your songs. It, it yeah, sounds know, like something you would. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but then the other stuff, was ne- we had needlessly filler music on that because uh, at the same time, we did a version, the songs that came out later, we did All's Fair, Birthday IOU. Hmm. We have versions of those. They're very different than the ones that Chad sang on. And I thought they were great, and they didn't end up on the record. And and I think it could have been really a consistent album, but we shot ourselves in the foot. Because, like I said, it has some of my favorite shit, and then some stuff where I'm like, eh, not so, so much, you know? Yeah. Is Birds on that one? Birds is on that one. That's another I, really great one. I love that one. Yeah. And the thing about it is when we would play live, well, we started with Charligan basically. And then every once in a while, Birds, because we always started, you know, I'd come out after the first song. And when they would play Birds and I would watch them play, I was like, God 
these guys are so good. I mean, we were so tight back then because we played all the time. We used to practice with it with a drum machine going so we, we could mm. stay and that's impossible. Yep. And we did it. We play with a drum machine behind us so that we didn't rush and didn't slow down. We just were steady. I mean, it was in we played with Fugazi once in uh, Holland. I think it was on the first Europe tour. And like we blew our we blew our wad on that tour. We were just exhausted. I was fucked up every night and I didn't get any sleep. And Stefan, he couldn't sleep in the little van, so he drove all the time. And so we were just wrecked. And we played with Fugazi uh, the last show of that tour. So we had toured across the U.S. and done all of Europe. And we were the tightest band on earth. I swear to God. Yeah. I think we've given anyone a run for their money. I believe it. And, and uh, there was a review of the show. And it's, it was about how great Fugazi is and all this stuff. And basically what it said about all was... All is, in so many words, the tightest, most boring band I've ever seen in my life. Wow. Because, yeah, because we were so, so rigid and so tight, but so exhausted and so boring, you know? So, you got the single on this one, Dot. Yeah, that was a surprise. I didn't, I didn't know that was happening until we were leaving to go make the video. Do you like that video better? <laughs> it's terrible, but it's it's are terrible the funny thing about that video is we were driving out to go do the video and i remember carl comes up to me and he goes hey you got the single and i said what are you talking about and he said dot it's going to be the single and you know bill believe it or not was working on hot plate to be the single oh wow <laughs> yeah yeah he was like this is the one this is the rock song and bill really wanted to be a rock a rock band mm -hmm. you know uh i didn't i wanted to be weirdo jazz influenced uh sometimes math sometimes like to me i figured songs like uh what is a uh, crazy for instance right. yeah is is what we sound like wonder bread is what we sound like you know like nobody sounds like that but us let's do that you know yep. uh so when dot got it we were driving i got in the 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 old school bus and we left missouri to tour our way out to la to make a video for dot which really weirded me out but carl came up with the entire concept hmm. like no other input only carl and it's carl you watch that video and it's carl to a t oh yeah like yeah well the thing about it is he goes through and he and it's funny now that i look at it it's really funny like how do I, what are the words? Like, it's, um, so what is the word when it's something that's exactly what it says? Uh, it's, the word's not in my, literal. Mm -hmm. It's like, it says, you know, like back at my house, there's nothing on TV. Oh, yeah. And it shows TV with the word nothing on it. Yeah. You know, just shit like that the whole way through. And it's so stupid. <laughs> like, oh my God, I can't believe that. And, now I, I watch it and, and I don't I haven't watched it in a million years, but it was like, well, that's pretty damn funny. Who's the cameo in the video? A friend of the band's holding like the mirror and the phone and there was oh, that's, Bug. that's Bug. Oh, it is okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He had to be in it, you know. It's Bug. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, so it's funny. The, the thing is, in that video, I wore overall shorts, and that was a huge mistake because uh, I still haven't lived that down. Like, people still bring it up, and my kids, they'll be like, hey, I heard your father was on MTV, and they're like, hmm, I, haven't, I don't think so. Because <laughs> nobody needs to see me in those. They'll come back again. Uh, I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they were, I don't even think they were a thing back then. I don't know. What nineteen ninety two? Probably Fresh Prince and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, you mentioned M those. <laughs> you mentioned the song Birds. It's good and it's great. And what's more, it's right. That yeah. so- sounds like a like an inside joke or something. <sighs> okay, so that's Mike Alvarez. That's hmm. Carl's brother, and he used to say little things, and that's our show. He used to say that, like if something stupid happened. He go and that's our show, and then, and he would say, uh, he would say it's good and it's great, you know, uh, oh, over stuff, and and we, and it was a dry way he said it that always made us laugh. We'd always, you know, it was like, like if you if you slipped and fell and spilled your coke, uh, uh, into the computer and it smoked and exploded, Mike could go, it's good and it's great, you know, and it'd be really funny. Right. And then he would say, he'd say, you know how people say when people get married, uh, they go, oh, yeah, you know, Kathy and Joe are getting married. And I think that's good. And what's more, it's right. And so he yeah, it was just, a, I can't explain it, but it was the way he said it. So it's great. And what's, what's more, it's right. It was all just inside shit, you know. Yep. Okay. Missouri 63. What's, What's going on there? Okay. So I wrote that. Uh, I remember writing it. I was in the passenger seat of the van. Uh, the the was the bus? Must have been the bus. So there was no passenger. I, well, there was those seats. So I was sitting in one of the seats. And we had a van beater. It's Dan Electro, this old beat up. And I was doing this. And it, it sounded super lazy, and, and I really liked it. And, I, and when I do, when I play it now, uh, uh, acoustic set, it, it's, it sounds really cool. Mm-hmm. And there was this road when we would drive to Columbia from Brookfield. We go from the 36, I think, to the 63, and it was this long, straight-ish road, and and it was hell. <laughs> you couldn't help but speed, yeah, without because it was. There, didn't have cruise control and it was just boring enough but hilly enough so you couldn't see to like get in an accident and there was all kinds of uh farmers in slow moving stuff so you come over a hill and there's a tractor pulling you know two joint hay wagons going 10 you know and it just I, it was just this awful road and the lazy sound of the song just st- started reminding me of that road because we used to do it all the time, Missouri 63. Okay. Yeah, so that's all that was. New Gear, who, who's that doing the back and forth in that song? Oh, shit, I don't know. That's one of the things I go like, what is this? So the BC Rich part is Stefan. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't listened to it in so long. I have to listen to it. I, You know, I don't listen to those records, yeah. you know. Why would I, you know, at this point? Yeah. Maybe one day I'll go, I'll get high and listen to them or something. (laughs) 
Hey Bug, obviously like an inside joke directed at Dan. Right. So I wrote that one. We had that little Dan Electro and it, and he, he'd driven all night and he was just laying there. And I was laying down next to him and I was like, I had my head right by his ear and I was going, and I was going, hey, boy, trying to go to sleep. And, you know, it was just, and I did it for a long time. Like, you know how you are, especially when you're younger and you it's like I'm gonna give I'm gonna ruin his I'm gonna ruin his life today. So I and then that just became an inside joke too. That's one of my favorite ones we do. Mm-hmm. Hot plate, did you play that live? No. No, I I think hot plate sort of went down like a lead balloon. Mm-hmm. Like people didn't want to hear it, so we didn't we didn't play it. It doesn't it it doesn't fit with the tenor of our shows back then. I mean they were pretty manic, you know, yeah. and it just didn't, there was no way to slide it in. You know, we played freaky. You want to hear a story about freaky? It's a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So back in the day, there was a thing called the new music seminar. I know it. Yep. Okay. So we go there and for anybody who doesn't know, the new music seminar is like a convention in New York city. You go there, it's in Manhattan and you, there's DJs and record labels and all of this stuff. And it's like a convention. And then you do interviews on for college radio and, uh, and it was a lot of fun. And we were staying out on Staten Island at a friend's house. We had some shows in the area, probably Trenton and stuff. And then we're going to, one day we're going to go into New York into Manhattan. And then we're going to, uh, do an interview for one of the college radio things or something. So Bugface and Mike and Serena stayed out on Staten Island, probably at our friend Pilsters or something. And we went into the city and we did the thing. And after our interview, I was standing talking to this guy, Ron Coleman, who was like. He's been on the uh, show. We've had him on the show. Okay. So he's basically a quasi A&R guy or something for, I don't know what you call him, but I'm sure he had a. Anyway, I always liked Ron. He was a lot. He was he, he he was always in a kind of a sunny mood. And I was a wrestler in college and stuff. And he actually challenged me to a wrestling match, right outside SST in the grass. And you know, I was a collegiate wrestler, and he gave me all I could handle. He was. I wonder if he remembers that. I was like, this sucks. He's pretty damn good. So anyway, uh, I won. But anyway, so I'm hanging out talking to talking to Ron and. This guy comes up, this 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 black gentleman who was, you know, a little older, and he had this young kid who had a, you know, the kid in play fade of the early nineties. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he had, and he was dressed really nice. They both were dressed super nice, and you know, he has, so he has this nice looking kid who looks like kid in play in a, and they're both in these suits, and. <laughs> and he and he looks at Ron. Ron's got this his thing on, and he goes, "Ron Coleman, you know SST Cruise Records. You know, yeah. want you to meet my boy uh, Tyrell." And he goes, and they're talking, and and you know, very nice guy, and the and the kid, I'm sure, very talented and whatever, but he's talking to Ron from SST, so it was like. 
it was ridiculous. You know, it was like the worlds collide. Right. And so it was like really funny. It was, it was so funny because Ron is a very nice guy and he's talking to the guy and, you know, I know Ron's in one way going, okay, I want to be nice. But in another way, I don't want to waste this guy's time. Right, I mean, right. his boy isn't going to be on, you oh, know, yeah. it's not going to work. Because there was a big hip hop thing back then and all that. So I'm sure that there was probably the right people to talk to, but it wasn't It wasn't SST Records. For sure. So it was just really funny when Worlds Collide and watching Ron try to <laughs> figure out what to say to the guy to like not lead him on, but not be impolite, you right. know. And to not like draw conclusions just because he's a a, a black kid with a fade, you know. So yeah. you know, it's it's a, it's a sticky situation that probably isn't actually that sticky, but you know, you know those situations you're like, I don't know what to say here. So it was really funny, and he walked away, and I was like, this that was that was really funny. <laughs> well, that night out on Staten Island, and, and everybody was asleep except me and Bug, because me and Bug always stayed up drinking and talking and i remember i was sitting on the hood of this car and bug was bug carried this one hitter around that looked like you remember those old one hitters that looked like a cigarette yep, yep. Out of metal just, yep i know what they are yep in a little box of yep yep so he's hitting this one hitter and i remember and and we're talking and i told him man you should have seen this you should have seen ron squirm you didn't know and the situation and i told him and i said <laughs> and i go you know because we're all like bad brains and black flag and he's all like and bug goes i want to be your sex machine you freak and he does his dance <laughs> and it was like in once he encompassed like you know our preconceived shit about what this this kid i mean this kid might have been punk rock for all i know but that's like what we envisioned yeah. and he nailed it in one thing and i laughed so hard i was laughing so hard i thought i was gonna throw up because you have to see bug do it <laughs> so then that be like and then the next day or so we're just singing i want to be your sex machine and you freak <laughs> and and then of course because it's all it became a song you know <laughs> being frog in my pocket became a song because because i made the mistake of playing it in front of the band so because those frog in my pocket I had the piano part written and the melody i always write music and melody at the same time this is how i write songs uh, and I was in Oregon. It was our one, our first trip, so it was All Rise Revenge era. And there was this girl. She was so cute, and she sat next to me, me on this a piano bench. So I start playing that song with the melody, and I started making up words. And uh, so I I got a frog in my pocket. It's not a big frog. And I'm just going, I like it anyway. And I'm like, what rise of pocket? Hawk it. So then I just sort of made that up like that, yeah. which is why those lyrics are so stupid and bad, you know? And uh, I'm, I was pretty good with like, you can have fun with an amphibian, put it back when you're done. I did that off the top of my head and I was pretty like, <laughs> but anyway, they, Bill heard it and he's like, we're doing that song. <laughs> Well, I said, well, okay, but let me write some words. And he's like, no, those are the words. And yeah. I was like, let me write some words. And he's like, no, those are the words. So they that that became the song. <laughs> and now I can't pick it with any other words, you know? Yeah. Your cover art, did you decide as a band that All Roy was 
I wanted Allroy to die. You did, yeah. I was like, I don't want to do Allroy anymore. So then we did the percolator thing, and I had done this one painting that was better than the one that we did, and I couldn't find it. So I threw that one together at the last minute, and I don't love it. Uh, and then it was like, after that, I think they did breaking things. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which was like the hammer and the glass. Yep. And then I think after that, they're like, you know what? Let's just... Let's go back to Alroy. <laughs> so yeah, after saves, we crucified him. You know, sort yeah. of an Iron and Eddie thing. You know, they brought Eddie back too. So, how does Chad come into the picture? Because he's he's on this record. Yeah, he was a, a so he was a friend of ours from Kansas City. He and Snodgrass. Mm-hmm. He was in, he had a band called Apple Tree or something like that. That they met through that, and then he and Bill kind of hit it off, and Bill and I. We're starting to not see eye to eye on the record. And Carl and I were fighting, fighting, fighting. We fought like cats and dogs. And so I think they had, Bill had, Chad had heard him sing and had him sort of in the wings when the inevitable happened and everything fell apart. Hmm. So he came in from Kansas City and moved, I think he moved to Brookfield, but I don't know. As soon as I left, I was sort of not, I was sort of done, you know, uh, keeping track. I, I mean, why would I? I had another life to go do so you stayed on and finished this european tour after you had kind of decided you were like the band knew you were quitting yeah well so there was a big fight between me and carl and like a lot of stuff happened and i went to bill and i was like i can't fucking do this anymore man this this sucks i don't i'm not real happy with the way the the direction the music is taking not that i not that i have a problem with the way that it's just it, i didn't felt feel like i fit in with it mm-hmm. like this and it was sort of not what i wanted to accomplish and i know bill was like yeah this is not this whole thing is a mess and so i quit and then he goes are you gonna are you gonna do the the europe tour because we had a couple months planned in europe and me being me, I was like, of course, I wouldn't, I won't leave you guys hanging. So I did the tour, and it actually was sort of fun because I could just blow my wad, you know. Mm-hmm. No second and, thoughts on the tour though about quitting the band. No, no, it was time. Yeah. I really, we had different ideas of of where the band should go, you know. And were you done with playing music? Like, I know you kept playing in bands, but did, was the idea that you were going to form a band oh, and, oh, and keep touring? Yeah, the idea was definitely. I, I I had not even one second thought I wouldn't play music anymore. Yeah, but like, music? what about the touring aspect? I wanted to tour bad. Yeah. I like touring. I if, I if I could be on tour right now, I would. Just life isn't working out that way. But... Uh, no, I love being on tour. I love playing shows. I love waking up in the morning excited because I have a show. You know, I, I just I like the whole thing. I like like I like going to Tokyo. You know, landing and I like I go to South America and playing Buenos Aires, and I go to Kansas City and get some barbecue and go play a show. It's just it's a great thing to be on tour. I love it so. I always plan to get back out there. Yeah, I wouldn't want to do it like I used to. I, I you have to. I'd have to be insane. But I wish I could play a hundred shows a year. You know, mm-hmm. something like that. Okay, so where did you move to? After all, uh, I, I met a girl in 
Washington State. Uh, uh, Melissa was her name, and uh, I met her at a show in Olympia, I think. And I just, I, I just, I took a real. I really liked her, and so uh, she came the next night to the OK Hotel in Seattle, and uh, we started talking and writing and everything and eventually after things fell apart in the band she came to live for a while with me in brookfield mm. and stay in my little room and stuff and when things fell apart in the band uh we were i wasn't even in the house anymore we were staying at a shitty hotel on the outside of town and so when it was over uh, i had asked her to marry me and i moved out to washington state mm. and she had a little little child, a little baby who was one year old, and I became dad and m moved out there. Okay, and that's when I started Goodbye Harry. Yeah. So, did you and Mike talk about starting this band when, like, he wrote it for the Descent or for all? Obviously, was he still like? No, I don't really remember. I, I think we did. I like. I wanted to start a band. He was out there. I knew he was. I knew he was a pretty good player. And we were friends, and we had a lot of fun. So mm -hmm. uh, I think sort of simultaneously, I thought, yeah, well, Mike can play bass. And he said he could find me guys. Yeah. And that's he found Artie and, and um, Tony. Um, Tony. Who came up with the band name? Oh, that's something I used to say to my – well, Melissa and I used to say when we – it was it was sort of a, a, a word for um, – when all of the when we have money, hmm. and it was like we had this hairy lifestyle. It was like it was like it was just an inside joke between us. And then it was like it, it's a name where I go. I, at the time, I thought, yeah, I like it. But you know, over the years, I don't really like all that much either. You know, so it's like it's a name. I, I haven't picked out any good band names. I don't think. Whereas <laughs> I like the Pavers. That's yeah, a that's good a good name. one. Yeah. yeah. Did Goodbye Harry do a lot of touring? No, because, okay, so the first lineup was uh, Artie, Tony, Mike, and me. And Tony didn't want to go on tour. Hmm. And then Mike and Artie got super unreliable for for bad reasons that I it's not my place to say. But mm -hmm. uh, and we had a tour booked off of uh, the first record, Food Stamp Barbecue. Uh, and they stopped coming to practice and I couldn't find them. And, and I called Greg again, uh, two weeks, I guess, before our tour and said, man, I don't know what to do. We don't have a drummer and the guys just keep flaking. And, you know, and this was my whole world, you know, cause I was doing it for a living. Everybody else does it for a hobby. And I said, can I get it? Can we cancel? And I'll get a new band. I'll find new guys. And he said, yeah, which I couldn't believe. So, I kicked everybody out and then I went and I got, and then Trevor Lanigan from, uh, uh, my, my name, yep. who's one of my favorite guitar players and friends. He was, a, I just loved hanging out with him. He, we, we were good pals and he called me and goes, I want, he goes, Hey, I want to be in your band. And I was like, do you? He's like, yeah. And I was like, awesome. You know, awesome. And he got in right away, and then he knew Kelly, and so we got Kelly on bass, and then we could not find a drummer to save our lives. We looked everywhere for a drummer, and so I just 
sent out a thing and said, anybody want to play drums? And the first tape, I got a bunch of tapes, but the first tape I got was from Chris Maggio, mm. who it was a, he sent me a video cassette of him playing drums. And I was like, oh my God, this guy's a monster. So he came out from New Jersey and yeah, and that's, that was the band that toured and we did some touring, uh, not enough, mm-hmm. but we did some, and then, like one one national tour, we didn't we didn't do a national tour with Krista. We had this other guy who came to practice, knew the songs pretty well, and we're like, wow, okay, uh, but we didn't realize it. Like he made mistakes and stuff, but we were brand new, so I was like, okay, well this guy's on it. He'll. He'll just get better and learn all the songs. And then we found out, nope, that's the best he could do. And it never got. <laughs> so, yeah, he ended up not working out. And then then Chris came along and, you know, and then we did I Can Smoke. And uh, we toured that out. And then the band fell apart. Mm-hmm. And I moved, I moved to, back to New York State okay. after that. And so then the pavers came next, I'm assuming. And then the pavers. Yeah. yeah, and the pavers were, were these guys from Buffalo, and they're full Buffalo dudes. And I, I love Buffalo. I love it. I love a lot about Buffalo. It's got it's there, there. There's a it's a big small town, you know. It's yeah. you know there you, you know people from Boston, and you know, and you're like, oh, freaking Boston, and stuff. And Buffalo has its own thing too. So these guys were full on Buffalo dudes, and I kept getting phone calls on my answering machine. And then the guy wouldn't leave a message, whoever called. They just kept hanging up. Right. Finally, one day, I got the phone, and I go, who the fuck is this? And it was Tim Patterson, and he said, uh, I want to send you songs. He was real shy and afraid. Mm-hmm. He goes, I heard, I heard you were in town, and you live near here, and I think we could be your band. You, we, we want you to – we want to try. So those, said, those guys were all together already. Sort of. Yeah. Uh, there was, so I went out to their – I said, okay, well, cool. And they, then they – I said, send me some music. So he sent me a cassette tape because that's what he did back then. And I was like, wow, I like those. I could come up with things to sing to these. Can they play mine, I wonder? So I call him back. I said, hey, I dig it. I'll come, I'll come to your practice. So I came to their practice, and they had a drummer that I didn't like. Uh, he just, I didn't like the way it felt. I mean, I'm sure he was a good drummer and stuff, but he didn't, their stuff was kind of heavier than the way he played it. And I just, I thought, man, I need a basher and a crasher for this stuff. It's not going to work. So, uh, Tim, it was Tim and Eric and Mark uh, and this drummer. And I go out in the hall with Tim and I go, okay, you guys are awesome i think this can work but i i i need one guy i'm not real happy with and he goes mark right and i said no mark's the bass player and he goes we just taught him to play bass he's our friend so and i said no no i, I like the way he plays yeah i'm not in the drummer he, i need a different drummer and then i'm down and he's like okay he's out of here <laughs> so, so uh so then Josh, the guy that plays on the stuff, who's one of my favorite drummers ever, he was in a, a like a, a ska band that goes to the college in this town that I live in. They worked at, and I saw him play, 
And I was like, wow, look at that guy. He was full of energy and he was funny and he was fun and he was kicking ass. And I go, I want that guy. Yeah. So I called him the next day and I go, hey, I saw this guy last night. His name is Josh. He's in a band called Counterclockwise. And they go, dude, we know Josh. He's an awesome guy. Yeah. So next thing you know, that's Buffalo. <laughs> that's the Buffalo music scene, you know. Yeah, yeah. Next thing you know, uh, Josh, Josh was in the band and then we were the pavers. Okay. Yeah. How did the the Fast Gatto project come together? Did Greg get a hold of you or, or how did that get well, I needed money. I needed money. I was living in Texas. I moved to Texas. Mm-hmm. I lived in Austin, Texas for 13 years after the pavers. And I needed money. And I called Gin and I go, man, can I get an advance on my royalties or something? I'm starving to death. And he goes, I'll tell you what, I'll give you, I guess, 15 grand flat or something like that to make this record. Hmm. I guess maybe you're not supposed to say stuff like that in the interview. Okay. <laughs> and he goes, I'll give you flat and you know, all you got to do is come up with something to sing. Mm-hmm. And I was starving and I was like 15 grand. Fuck yeah, I'll do that. So he sent me the music and he lived in Taylor, Texas, which was a few hours away. And then he came and picked me up in his van and we drove out to, to do these things, these songs. And I recorded them out at his place. See, the thing about that record, and I can't listen to it, uh, because when we recorded it, we recorded it to a click. Mm-hmm. Like he had, It wasn't even a click. It was a drum machine. And I sang to it, and he played to it, and I did all my vocal parts to a click. And then when it got done, he got this guy, Gregory, called Drummer, who is a very sloppy drummer. He's all over the place. He's he's, and I can sing to a sloppy drummer. That's fine. You know we can all, but he didn't record with me. So he got Gregory. Gregory cut the drums. His stuff was way off from the click. So Greg re-recorded all his guitar and bass and left my vocals the way they are. Wow. So, so li- <laughs> That's a weird so, way to make a record. <laughs> yeah, and when you listen to it, I'm off. Yeah. Like I listen to, it, I'm like. Dude, I'm off. Like, I'm off. Yeah. And it sounds like I'm the one that's fucking up. So I can't listen to that record. And and I don't know that – I didn't know anybody heard it because Greg flaked and didn't put it out Yeah. as far as I knew. And uh, and I was like, phew, I'll take my – I'll pocket my 15 grand and you just put that in the toilet, right? <laughs> and uh, then uh, the other day somebody asked me about it. Was it you? Did you ask me about it? No, no. Somebody asked me about it, had heard it. Yeah. Well, you can and find I, copies of it. And I was like, no. And he goes, no, it's good. You should listen to it. And I go, it's not good. I know it's not good. So, <laughs> Did you, you never played any shows? No. No. Greg and I we were, were, were friends, uh, good friends for a while. You know, uh, we spent a lot of time together and hung out and stuff. And then one day, one day he just, uh, did with me like he does with everybody. He just was like, "Yeah, eat a bag of dicks," and he left. You know, mm-hmm. and I've never, I've never talked talked to him again. I don't know where he is, and I don't really care. But mm-hmm. it was just like all of a sudden, it was so weird. This is like when the, you lived in Austin. You you guys were hanging out. Yeah, and he would come like I ran sound in the back of Headhunters' this bar, in the the back bar. He came one time and played, and I thought it was really funny because all these people came down to see him play. And he played bass and had some kid play guitar. 
Everybody came to see the great Greg Ginn, and he played bass, yeah. and everybody was mad. And I thought it was the funniest, coolest thing ever because he just didn't care. Mm. And other people go, "That's not cool. It's not cool at all." And I go, "It's pretty punk rock. It's pretty funny." But anyway, yeah. So we got along great, and then until you didn't, you know, and people warned me. They were like, "You know that guy?" Because it's like at the time I knew him for twenty-five years, so it's like I know Greg. What are you talking about? And you know Bill and. Keith and all of them are like, this is, this guy's an asshole. And, uh, yeah, he just disappeared. Never heard from him again. Mm. It was really weird, but I don't care. Long as, long as not too many people hear fast Gato, I don't care. <laughs> okay. And then was Bonesaw Romance your next band? No. So Bonesaw was before that. Bonesaw, this guy, Jay called me and it was after the pavers. We weren't pavers. A lot of stuff happened. We went to Japan. We did all this stuff, but then people started flaking because we weren't making any money, and it was hard. And you know, and like I had, I had two kids at the time, and I was trying to make money. And my wife, who's now my ex-wife, was like, "You know, you're you're a bum. You need to make some shit happen." So it was like, uh, I told the papers, "Look, this is stupid. I'm not doing this anymore," and I quit. Mm -hmm. um, um, and then I got a call from this guy Jay, and he's like. I got a band and, and it was like, I'm really into seventies radio rock and I'm, I'm into, and I'm also into like, like I like foreigner and shit like that. And I like, uh, thin Lizzy and Joe Walsh. But, and I also like of course black Sabbath and ACDC and stuff. So he's like, well, it's, it's pretty rock and stuff. And he sent me and I go, Oh, that's cool. I like, I'd like to do a rock record. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, we did the record and I really like that record. And, uh, Played a few shows, and then my wife really wanted to move. So I said, well, it's, I'm going to move to Austin. I'm sorry, fellas, but we can still record. This is, you know, and maybe we can do a thing. And uh, so I moved to Austin, and then my father died. I went and took care of my dad, and he died, and I got just kind of in a weird space, and I, I didn't keep up with the guys. And it sort of faded. And then Jay got super pissed at me. And he had my trailer at his house. And I got a call from this guy, Chris. And he's like, hey, Jay's going to sell your trailer if we don't get your trailer. So I had a friend drive my trailer out. And he said, I'm fucking selling it. Scott is an asshole. And he like he hates me now because I moved. And, hey. and, I, and I get it, whatever. You know how that goes. And so like – I. I don't know if I can say this. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to sound like, but it's funny. So he, I opened my trailer when I got it, and there was a big dick drawn on it, and it, it said "Ginger Fag" <laughs> with his dick, and I was gonna. I thought it was so funny that I was gonna take a picture of it, and then do like a cross dressing uh, album. A character called Ginger Fag, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I thought, no, I can't do that. That you can't use that word. I mean, even saying it to you, you know, yeah. is bad. But it's like so, uh, you mentioned. No means no. They have that album. Um, I can't remember the name of the album, but the cover is graffiti that somebody drew on the wall at like one of their gigs or something, and it just says like, "How fucking old is No Means No?" or something like that, right? <laughs> yeah it was like that you yeah. know ginger fag 
I thought it was so funny. And I was going to spell it with a PH, you know, and just yeah. I was going to be a ginger fag. But then I thought, no, some people are are actually that. And 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 I, I don't want to belittle anybody because right. I'm not. I'm not. I just thought it was a really funny way to insult me. <laughs> when can we we expect a follow up to Chihuahua and Buffalo? Okay, so, so Bill and I recorded a new record. It's, oh, uh, I wrote all the songs. I played all the guitar. Okay, it's a cool story. I said, Bill, I got some songs, uh, and I want a band. And I said, Do you want to play drums? And he said, fuck yeah, of course. So he plays drums. And then it started out, I think he thought that my vibe would be like upright bass and a quiet guitar and, and stuff. So he called this guy, this guy from New York, who's an upright bass player. Phenomenal. Uh, and this guy, Devin. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill called him and I sent him some the songs. So he started and he played on two songs. And then I got a piano player, my friend Tony Scalzo. Remember the band Fastball? Uh, they, they, they have that The Way, that song The Way. Yep. Uh, really, really good song. He's a really good songwriter. And they have a, that song, You're an Ocean, you know, that yep, one. I know anyway, yep. he's a good friend. And he's a very talented guy. And uh, I said, you want to play piano on my record? And he said, I don't think I can play your stuff the way you would want me to. But I know another guy who's Willie Nelson's great-grandson's great-grandchild's dad. Hmm. Like Willie Nelson's granddaughter and this guy had a baby. Mm -hmm. And I feel bad that I don't have his name prepared. And um, he produced Willie Nelson's... um, Rainbow Connection record and stuff. So I, I got a hold of him. I said, Tony, Tony said you might want to. And he goes, Well, send me the song. So I sent him song two the same two songs. And he's all over it. He goes, Yeah. I said, Well, how much is that gonna cost? We said $250. So he <laughs> 250 bucks. He did those two songs. Got them done. And then it got sort of uh flaked a little bit, but he didn't flake like things got the world came right, you know. Because I don't pay well. And he went out on tour with, uh, she married Paul Simon. She sang, uh, I don't know. He went out on tour with that. So he didn't have time. And then uh, bass Matt didn't, he didn't have time. And I said, and then Bill's like, hey, I recorded bass lines for everything. Hmm. And I was like, oh, you did. So no, so it's not an upright bass. It's Bill playing bass and he just destroys. And uh i play guitar and do all the vocals and i wrote all the songs and um it's interesting because my stuff it's 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 a different record than certainly different than bill's used to playing on he even plays brushes on a song Mm. like you're playing acoustic guitar no No? i play electric oh okay uh yeah and so and i did a you know mike mike mikey's uke mike and his uke the yep, uke yep, yep. yeah i did one of those what is it mikey's uke what is it mike in his uke i don't know once again i'm not prepared but i did i got called by mike to do a stiff little finger song alternative ulster mm-hmm. and i was like oh yeah i'll do that you know and what it is for those who don't know is this guy starts out with a uke a ukulele 
and then people play an old standard punk rock song and you get people from different bands and just all different different lineups of of band people um uh even tony hawk did one you know mm-hmm. so he's like do you want to sing alternative all-star i said sure and i said who else is playing and he said what's this well what's his face from the sex pistol the bass player um glenn matlock glenn matlock he said glenn matlock and olga from toy dolls Hmm. and i was like oh my god you're kidding me absolutely so glenn matlock ended up chomping he had you know he had to do something uh but then we got uh UK subs guy. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so bad with names anymore. Uh, uh, Alvin Gibbs. Yeah. Yep. So we we did the thing. Uh, but so Olga from Toy Dolls is one of my all time favorite guitar players. I Toy Dolls are silly and fun and all of that. But and I love that and I love them. But his guitar playing is. I mean, he's literally for me up there with like Jerry Reed and Eddie Van Halen. You know, he's really good. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, awesome. So I, I message him and I go, hey, uh, and he's like, you did a good job on the Stiff Little Fingers song. And I said, well, thanks. Uh, I got a question. Would you play a guitar solo on my record? And I don't think he knows me from, you know, whatever. And he said, yeah. So I sent him a song and he did a guitar solo. Wow. So I've got, I've got Olga on there doing a guitar solo. Wow. So yeah, so it's me and Bill and then... Uh, my friend Dave uh, Fridman, who who produced the Flaming Lips and all of that, he's the one that produced my Scott Reynolds and the Steaming Beast record. His son John plays horns like nobody's business, so he plays horns on a couple of songs. Wow! And yeah, it's it's it's, a, it's called Magic Beans and Time Machines, and it's uh it's just about in the bag, and I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but it's just about done, and it's. I love it. I think it's a great record. I think I think I think people are going to really like it. That's it's great. very Yeah, it is. I'm really excited. Hopefully like early next year. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. I mean, I don't know how to put records out anymore. It used to be you put them out on a label and you got a distro guy and a A&R guy and then people went to a record store and bought it. Now you know, what do you do? You know, well, nobody, I think I think it depends if you're going to tour or not. For for well, starters, I definitely want to go play shows. Yeah. But mostly now I play shows by myself. So what I'll do is I'll put the record out, try to do a few in- incarnations of stuff. Uh, I, I I asked Bill if he wanted to do some of the some shows. He sounds down for it, so we'd have to find, you know, a bass player to play his parts or whatever. Mm-hmm. but so i think that'll probably happen and then i'm going to do as much touring as i can with just me and my guitar or maybe i'll bring a ringer here or there you know and then eventually i want to make another another chihuahua type chihuahua and buffalo record because i have so many other songs that you know like when i write a song it's done i don't you know i don't come to the recording studio and or practice and go like okay what do you guys want to how do you where do you think it should go from here on you know when i write it i go it's three minutes it goes like this this is how the bridge goes and then you do what you do and then people will add stuff and it'll change and it'll become awesomer and really cool and but at its core i can play 
any song I've ever written. You know, I don't need the band. So I can go do shows with just my guitar and tell stories and have fun. And so that's why, and that's what I've been doing. So that's why I recorded Chihuahua in Buffalo, which is just me and my guitar, because it sounds like my shows. You know, because people would come who don't know who I am or whatever, and they go, you know, I want a copy. You got a record. And then I'd give them a pavers record or something. They go home. That's not what I just heard. Yeah. So I want to do another one. I could. I have enough songs that I could probably do five of those records. You know, when you do play shows, I'm guessing you hear from a lot of all fans still. Yeah, I do. I do. There's not a lot of all fans though, so you know it's not like overwhelmingly. There's you know, all always at our at our at our largest, we were, you know, mid-sized fish in the small pond. You know, mm-hmm. so it's not like. It's not like when I go see the Descendants, and you know, yeah. So, a lot of time, a lot of the people, there are people that know me for my stuff, as maybe not quite as many as know the all stuff. But when I go to Argentina, man, I do great in Argentina. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, and I did good in Brazil too. But for some reason, Argentina and me get along great, yeah. and I love it. Yeah. Well, it's weird how that happens sometimes. Like the pockets, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was weird because in all, if we played Trenton, New Jersey at City Gardens, uh, we were one of the biggest bands they had there. Period. I don't know why yeah. people come up from Philly and stuff, uh, but then we just go into New York City, play CBGB, and there's 150 people. You know, yeah. it's like, wait a minute, that's just right up the street. What the hell? Yeah, or you'll <laughs> you'll get these bands that are huge in their own country and as the lyric goes couldn't sell out a telephone booth in yeah in an, in another country right yeah it's true yeah it's true uh the pavers played in japan and they had great shows really great shows so who knows yeah yeah scott thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today i really appreciate it yeah it was fun thanks for having an interest in it and uh it was cool I only like doing it when 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 uh, the interview is interesting, you know. Yeah. And and it was interesting. You asked good questions and took me to places. Thank you. Awesome, awesome, all over again, all the time with Scott. Great yeah. to have him on twice for sure. Just great. And you know, there's a ton of interviews with Scott online and on the web, and every one of them is great. Oh, He's yeah. just yeah. just a swell dude. Great stories, great perspective, and uh, great pipes. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a number of projects that you touch on in the interview that probably deserve a bit of a deep dive here for a second or two. Shall oh, I? yeah, absolutely. Like, those Pavers records are some of the best things he, he was involved in, in my opinion. Yeah. So, let's get into a few of those here for a bit. Um, the Pavers, okay? Scott moves to Buffalo. The first record... Uh, by this band is called Local 1500. 1999, owned and operated records that you just mentioned, produced by Bill and Stefan. Tim Patterson on guitar from Against All Hope. Great, great tunes. The pavers are heavier than Goodbye Harry, though, in a good way. It's kind of funny, like Scott's bands get heavier, heavier, and heavier after all, and and then you get Chihuahua and Buffalo. And it actually all makes sense, but hang in there. My favorite tracks on uh, this record are 
Mr. Shepard's Bandage, Scary Eyes, Bleach, and Mysterious. Just a great record. Heavy, good, melodic Scott Reynolds tunes. Well, I, uh, I like that song in there. Isn't there one on there that goes, uh, the opening lyric is something like, well, that's just fucking peachy. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good song. <laughs> the next Pavers record, Return to the Island of No Return. This one's 2002 on Boss Tunage, and Scott ends up putting out a lot of stuff on Boss Tunage over the years. This one is even heavier, a heavier Pavers record. Um, great tracks on there like Mr. Falkhurst, Red Suzuki. That's a great one. Uh, Runaway Holly, Split Shifter. And then a couple of EPs in 2002. These two have um, similar tracks, in fact. Uh, the first one, Beautiful. That track, Beautiful, itself is awesome. And then there's another great track on here, 57 Franklin. It's a great EP, six-song EP, though, 2002, Boss Tunage. Um, and then the next one called Wrecking Ball. This is 2002 on Revelation Records as well, Brant, or distributed by Revelation Records. So you know what that means, hey? No, what does it mean? Bit of bow. <laughs> bit of bow man um on this wrecking ball record a couple of exclusive tracks emily and then also a cover of the tom waits classic i don't want to grow up that's a great ep um, another one that came out in 2002 on ratchet records the taco or tambourine ep this is a four song ep and it's a great four songs. All of them are awesome. It's it's almost too bad it came out on this somewhat obscure EP. Songs like Broken Doll, She Is Vapor, or Safe Boating. Those are like amazing paver songs. Check those out. Um, and then in 2003, the last release by the pavers, as far as I can tell, is a split CD with this band called No Show from Japan. This one is on Ambience Records, 2003. Great exclusive tracks again. Mr. Edison, Take Your Medicine, Neutral Guy, Until Forever. Uh, they do a cover of Box, the all song. Mm. Um, and then the uh, the band No Show actually does a cover of the song Wonder, which is on this Percolator record. Oh, I didn't know now about you, that one. That's cool. Yeah, no, it's good. And and this band No Show, they're, uh, they're solid, man. Check it out. That's a great split EP. But again... Pretty hard to track that one down. It's kind of same as the Taco and Tambourine one. You can uh, you can find the beautiful EP, but these four EPs after the two proper Pavers albums, it'd be great to see those collected. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. Yeah, it'd be great to have that as like a Pavers release. Maybe Boss Tunage should do that. Now, you guys touched on Fast Gatto in the interview, and I don't want to do a super deep dive into that because don't forget we'll have to talk about fast gatto on episode 368 because there was two or three of these actually released it appears i've got one in my hand here i like it it's not that great though i can understand what scott mentions in the interview about you know his his concerns about it interesting though he describes it as being like recorded to a click and then re-recorded by an actual drummer called gregory or drummer on the credits though it actually has bill stinson from yawning man as playing drums on the fast gato record and i wonder if scott is maybe look one of two things happened there i think either scott is getting gregory confused with bill stinson or it's actually gregory on the cd and it's miscredited to bill stinson i don't know i'm pretty sure bill stinson actually played on this record and i think scott is thinking of gregory moore from bands that we'll get into later on in the show like el bad get me high 
Um, one of the incarnations of Gone, Good For You, and Gregory's also in that band, Are You A Cop? Right. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure it's Bill Stinson, Stinson as well. The On Fast Gatto? Yeah. Yeah, pretty and, sure. And for people that are going to message us about that release, you know, that will be a, an actual episode, I'm pretty sure, when we get to it. There are physical copies of it. The The one Ryan is holding up right now is not a bootleg. Nope. All right, next. Getting heavier by the release for Scott Reynolds. Bone Saw Romance. Scott's in Austin, Texas now. And this is a self-titled record on Boss Tunage, 2006. It is a heavy rock record. Scott mentions in the interview that he wanted to do like a rock record. And it definitely is, including a cover of ACDC's Whole Lot of Rosie on this on this <laughs> CD. It's, uh, it's quite a departure, I would say. Uh, but it's good. And Scott can sing the phone book yeah. and and why not a heavy record like this it's awesome oh we're gonna get into it when we get into like percolator and some of the goodbye harry stuff but he's like a you know he can sing like in a classic rock style i would yeah. say oh wait just wait brant i've yeah. got a few references to that as well um now i should also mention this comp from 2007 live in the dream on boss tunage this is a 22 song comp of Goodbye Harry and Paver songs, all all jumbled about. Um, there are three unreleased Paver songs on it, though. Cuda, Maybelline, the Chuck Berry song, and also a piano version of Frog in My Pocket, wh which we talked about last episode, right? Yeah. But, but the best part about this uh, Live in the Dream comp is Scott has a write-up about the comp and before every song on it, too, mm. to kind of tell the story of the song. Um, it's really cool. Great comp. If you, if you want kind of like, you know, you want some great goodbye, Harry and pavers tracks on one CD. I will say though, that it's, it is missing some of my favorite pavers and goodbye, Harry tracks, but you know, you can't win them all on a comp like that. Check that out though. Great bang for your buck. Now here is a, a weird album, 2008's adventure boy also on boss tunage. It's actually referenced as Scott Reynolds and the Steaming Beast. Now, the Steaming Beast is, I guess, the backup band, various members. There's really no set lineup. Members from the Pavers and even Drag the River, like Chad Price is on this, um, and a bunch of other artists that Scott is friends with. For me, it's a good record. It's a bit uneven in places, though. It has kind of some cool steel guitar stuff, but then also some kind of weird keyboardy electric stuff in places. Some of the roots sounding songs are some of my favorites. Um, they do redo the goodbye Harry song angel. It's good. A highlight for me on this record though, is the song Tracy Hardman's cheek. I can see why it was redone on the Chihuahua and Buffalo record, but it's a good record. Like, don't get me wrong. It's just a bit, it's a bit of a, transition record i would say from scott kind of getting heavier and heavier to kind of a little weird and then now we're getting into this later phase of scott's recordings now scott loves weird music though so like it's not un it's not surprising at all to have this uh steaming beast record you know scott's all like a big frank zappa fan for yep. example you know okay here's a record that i love scott reynolds stupid world this is a self-released cd from 2014 solo record looks to be like a home studio job and uh i ordered this from scott when i ordered the chihuahua and buffalo record i actually didn't know you could get this record i looked around there was like a mention of it on cassette 
that you couldn't get. And then I went to order the Chihuahua and Buffalo record, and lo and behold, he had copies of the CD there. So I was like, bonus. So ordered this, and it says, uh, you know, thanks, Scott Reynolds, on the, the receipt, the packing slip. Don't underestimate how meaningful those uh, personal dedications are, even to a 40-something like me. I keep them in my, uh, my, my CD liners forever. I love that Scott does that dedication. Great songs on here. A home studio job. Ladders of Smoke. Uh, Cyclops, an old all song he does on here. I'm All Right is uh, redone on Chihuahua and Buffalo as well. Uh, this is a great record. When you go and order from Scott, make sure you pick up a copy of this Stupid World record. And then uh, most recently, 2021's Chihuahua and Buffalo. Um, and who's the Chihuahua, by the way, Brent? Do you know? Is it Justin Bieber? It's Jabe. Jabe's, yep. This is produced by Bill Stevenson, produced and engineered by Bill Stevenson, pardon me, recorded at the Blasting Room, an amazing version of Dot, which we'll get into in History Lesson Part 2. This is just, to me, like one of the best recordings from Scott of all time. I love putting this on. Now, that's all of Scott's recordings, or most of them, I think. Uh, there are other ones where he's guested here and there, but a hotly anticipated new record for me anyways next year, Magic Beans and Time Machines. Can't wait for that one to come out with uh, Billy recording, producing, and also playing on that record. Yeah. Really looking forward to that one. But I also want to talk about Scott online. I mentioned he uh, he's, you know, you can find a fair amount of interviews with Scott online, but also his recorded presence online because that, that deserves mention. And I check it out all the time. Um, during the pandemic, for example, in addition to those brunch shows that Scott has on YouTube, he also did a couple of really cool live stream performances. Those were awesome. I, I uh, favorited those and checked those out um, now and then still because there's just great, really uh, low-key versions of Scott playing those like in his bedroom. Right. Just awesome. But check out Scott's YouTube channel as well where he does covers of like the clashes. Julie's been working for the Drug Squad. Um, he also uh, did a song after the Will Smith Oscar slap. Um, it's called Keep My Wife's Name Out Your Mouth. <laughs> She's got alopecia. Don't want to have to beat your ass. Have some class. Just, just amazing. And Scott means it too, right? Because Justin Bieber has alopecia. So mm. he means it. Now, should also, I also want to mention Scott's work with uh, two online bands, essentially, I think. Is, is a good way to um, reference them. Uh, this band, Just Like Them, and another band called What in Tarnation. You've probably seen those, hey? Oh, yeah, for sure. We've talked about uh, Just Like Them, for sure. Yeah, so Just Like Them are uh, these guys, uh, Davi, Matt, Brad, and Greg. And Greg was actually in that band, G-Wiz. Yep. I don't know if you Several people pointed that out to, to, to me after we uh, I spieled about them. Oh, like on Twitter and yeah, whatnot? Yeah. Okay, cool. So, I mean, Just Like Them, I think, is basically this online cover band, What in Tarnation, doing all and Descendants songs. And they have great guest vocalists. Um, Scott does In Love This Way, amazing version, of course. And then, of course, Bill, Milo, Chad, Dave Smalley all do videos with Just Like Them. What in Tarnation, though, it's almost like Scott is their house vocalist. Mm -hmm. um, because if you look, you can see Scott doing Kansas's Carry On My Wayward Son, the Dewey Cox song, A Life Without You, Pure Prairie League's Amy, Neon Trees, Everybody Talks, Cheap Tricks, The Dream Police, ZZ Tops, Heard It on the X, 
uh, Huey Lewis's The Power of Love, but my two favorite songs that Scott does with What in Tarnation is Scott's version of Men at Work, Overkill. Love that. <laughs> and then he also does just backing vocals on What in Tarnation's version of The Cars Magic. Chris from Less Than Jake does the lead vocals on that, but the highlight for me and that version done by What in Tarnation is Scott's backing vocals. Just absolutely killer proving time and time again that scott doing even just doing backing vocals and harmonizing to himself will pretty much blow every other vocalist out of the water yeah just awesome yeah now i didn't go super deep like you did on uh, the goodbye harry <laughs> stuff because those are on, actually on cruise i just wanted to uh hit the treetops on those additional scott records but I've collected them and loved them over the years, and this last uh, month or so was just a great excuse to, you know, power listen to them on repeat, and uh, just loved it. Yeah, yeah, me too, man. I don't go as deep with Scott as you do, but I was rocking out to a lot of that stuff this week, yeah, for sure, yeah. these last few weeks. Can't wait for the new record. Yeah. Let's get into these albums, Ryan. History Lesson, Part 2. So interested to hear your thoughts on the Percolator record. I've got kind of a mixed history with it oh. in that, in that, yeah, like it has some of my favorite tracks of, by all of all time. Um, but then it kind of has a couple of cool spots for me, I yeah. would say. Oh, so for sure. in, yeah, yeah. yeah, interested to hear, uh, your take on it. Well, uh, me and my friends, uh, I've always loved it. We got it in 1992 when it, when it, right when it came out. So, uh, I, as I've said before, probably mainly because of nostalgia. It's I want I want to say it's my favorite all record studio. Anyways, like Trailblazer, uh, I've talked about my my love for that record. Um, you know, but I was sixteen or seventeen when this when this album came out. Uh, I still have my original cassette here, so it's like the third episode in a row that I that I rocked it on on cassette. Wow, <laughs> how do those cassettes sound? Not great, actually. <laughs> um, it's got some weird songs on it for sure, um, but you know that's part of its charm for me. Uh, yeah. it, you know, it's weird. Bill was apparently having writer's block at the time, or I, I guess Bill doesn't really get writer's block. He, he's always said he doesn't sit down and try to write songs; they just come to him, uh, and they. So I guess it would be more accurate to say that no songs were coming to him at, at this time, uh, but. F considering it you know that bill doesn't really contribute much to the to the album it's got some of their most iconic songs in my opinion yeah. Yeah. um you can see how they could have maybe had a rift starting regarding direction scott wanted to keep going in the more eclectic direction that they started going on with saves i would say his songs tend to to be quirky anyways and then you've got, of course, the Stefan material, but Bill wanted to kind of, I think, streamline the sound more like they did on the follow-up, Breaking Things. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know. I, I just love this record, which we'll we'll get to when we talk about the tracks here. Um, um, but just to be clear, we're kind of ripping through these releases quicker than we, we would on regular shows, so we, so we can cram more in. All right, Ryan, all or none, let's take a closer look at Percolator. Track one, side one, Charligan, another in a long line of great all instros. Um, no individual credits on this one, but it's a Scott song written on piano. Mm -hmm. 
And then we go straight into one of the greatest songs in the entire discography of all and Descendants, in my opinion. Agreed. And that, that's Carl's song, Nothing. Yep. Um, just like such a good song. Yeah, it's one of my favorites of all time, too. You know, and again, when I look at this record, it has some of my favorites, but then it's got a couple of skippers for me, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Great version of this song, actually, by that uh, band Just Like Them with Milo on vocals. Yeah. Yep. Bill's drumming in this song, like the, the ride symbol that, that he, the way he plays the ride and the way it goes double time on the drums if that, during that love wasn't enough part. We, interesting song in that when you sit down and think about these songs, sometimes it's weird what you pick out, but um, this one doesn't really have a chorus. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way it ends with that chiming minor chord, just a masterclass in brilliant songwriting for me, this one. Then we've got Scott's song, Dot, the single. Definitely check the video out on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> directed by Thomas Mignone, who's directed hundreds of, of videos. And concert, he's done a lot of concert films as well, but uh, mainly, but not exclusively for metal artists. He's kind of known, I guess, for his conceptual storylines in, in his videos. Although, as Scott mentions, much of the ideas in the Dot video were Carl's. Um, Legend has it, Bill disagreed with this song being the single. Um, I, I think it's a killer song. Totally the right choice, in my opinion, for that era of like mm. 120 minutes on MTV and kind of the alternative music boom. It's also a Scott song through and through, um, which just gets driven home if you if you watch him perform it solo acoustic. Uh, he always uses such interesting chords like... He, he uses what I call the Jimi Hendrix chord. I'm not sure what it's actually called, but um, this song, he kind of does this brilliant technique where he's playing a G chord as a power chord, but then takes his his finger off of, his index finger off the off of the G, and it, he's playing an open E chord, but uh, keeping the, the rest of his fingers in the position of the G. Uh, it gives it that, that main riff, that cool effect, and, and when you when you add in Carl's little lick at the, the turnaround before the verses, it's, it's just super cool. And some great, uh, harmonics from Carl. Yeah. Harmonic bass. Hey, yeah. Just throws it in. Yeah. Uh, and then we've got an, uh, another Carl song. Nobody's, um, underrated Carl song about not really sure climate, the climate crisis or, or war, or basically the indifference of humanity at times to solve the world's problems, I suppose. Um, this song throughout it, it kind of always makes me think of the police actually a little bit, hmm. especially the bass line, which is unusual for all. Um, it's almost a reggae bass line and it's kind of dubby, not that choppy finger picking style like we're used to hearing from Carl. And then you on backing vocals on lines like Poison Sea and Poison Sky, when they hit the, the way they sing the backups has always made me think of the band, the police. Huh. And then we've got the song Wonder written by Scott. He writes this in the interview is his favorite that he ever wrote for the band all hard to argue with that. Yeah. Um, this is one that just always takes me back. My friend Kurt, um, from my high school band dog breath, just always loved this song, especially the way it, it starts with the, she spent the money on a loaf of wonder bread and then the drums kick in. Yeah. It always makes me think of, of my friend Kurt. Cause he just loved this song. It's quintessential Scott Reynolds. Um, the lyrics about an aging couple that, that don't communicate are just pure genius. 
Again, no real chorus. Um, the ending of this song, Who Gives a Damn About a Woman and a Man, Just I just love this song. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. And Bill's drumming, even Scott points it out, those uh, those flams on the toms during the the chorus, I guess, if you can call it that, Yeah. Um, or the turnarounds. It is top 10. It's a top 10 all song, again, on this record. Same with nothing. And speaking of which, the next track. Yeah, considering he stated that he had a lack of songs to contribute to this album, Bill made up for it with, with this song, Minute. Um, one of his greatest songs ever, I would say. Yeah. Um, my band in high school used to cover this song. It's such, it's just genius. Like lyrically, Stefan's solo where he just bends that A note up a little bit or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, words really can't do the song justice. It's just so good. Yeah. You know, just talking through these first few tracks, it's interesting how all uses really amazing, catchy melody and dissonance at the same time mm -hmm. in their songs yeah. they really just sprinkle it all throughout and it's it's kind of puts you off but then it also when there's just that pure payoff melody it just makes it even more of a payoff when it's coming out of that crazy dissonance like that yeah. that psycho bended note it's just like no no that doesn't feel right and then you just kill it yeah. for the rest of the song on the you know the minute yeah. it's the minute yeah the next song is birds uh, Carl's brother, Mike, Mike Alvarez, one of his catchphrases uh, at the start. Cool instru uh, to close outside one when all three of them just get to show off their amazing chops. It's insane. Yeah. Like, I can just imagine, I mean, I wish I could see this live in person. It would probably just sit there with my mouth open yeah. in awe. Oh, yeah. I can, it's interesting to hear Scott, though, talk about how they practiced, like, like in almost like in a military fashion to like a click to just achieve absolute perfection. That's not surprising at all though. Hey, yeah, that they did that. I mean, imagine like putting Greg Ginn and, and Bill Stevenson into the same band. Yeah. Like just imagine, I mean, everybody else in the band fell in with that, with that ethos too, but Jesus. Yeah. Interesting to hear Scott comment though, about how, at points during the tour, they were so practiced and perfect. It almost came across as robotic. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, when you've been on tour that long, there, there are nights where you're, I don't want to say phoning it in. Cause I can't believe for one second that all ever phoned it in, but you know, just the, the precision was just, yeah. You know, it's like second nature to them, I guess almost. Okay, uh, flipping it over, we've got the Carl song, Empty. I've always loved this song. It's like an all-rock song. That Ain't It The Truth part, I always thought that was an uncredited Milo. Because it sounds a lot like Mar Milo. Oh, yeah, but it's maybe. But it's actually Carl. Um, that scream Scott does right before the piano solo is just pure rock god territory. <laughs> Lyrically, I guess it's kind of, a, you know, about how corporate rock sucks, to borrow a slogan. Kind of, yeah. And it actually still sucks. Yeah. Uh, and then Missouri, Missouri 63, uh, we've talked about this in the interview. It's it's another one that's just pure Scott. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually in my top four on the record for sure. Really? Oh, yeah. Hmm. 
Okay, uh, and then we've got Egg Timer, lyrics by Bill, music by Stefan, the only co-write on the album, other than, I guess, maybe Birds. Um, as far as I've gathered, since he's kind of started talking about this, um, it's about Bill's dad. I think his first song, maybe, about the subject, he went on to write many more. Uh, mm. Bill just putting it all out there. Um, his mom, Ruth, uh, was working for the band at this point. Uh, she's credited with, credited with Orgo. <laughs> <laughs> on this release yeah. Yeah. Um, famously uh, Bill's dad had two full-time jobs which uh, he would set this egg timer to sleep for an hour in between them and he did that twice a day uh, in between his two jobs um, he, he Bill's talked about how his mom had a drinking problem and as it you know his quote this is a quote he left them in financial ruin uh, and the song actually says, she took all your money. She left a note on the door. I'm just, when I listen to this, I'm kind of re- reminded of what Chris Sherry told us a few episodes back about how um, Bill just does not do fantasy. He yeah. o- he only writes about what he knows and his, his experiences and feelings. Yeah. Uh, and then we've got uh, the song New Gear, um, where they're taking the BC Rich for a test drive. Um, <laughs> and then just... Uh, failing miserably to tune the guitar and I guess play smoke on the water. Yeah, brutal. Bill's song Hot Plate. Obviously, I like this song, 80s hard rock all style. Yeah. The when no- I hear this song, I'm like, what What did they get Mutt Lang into to do an all song or something? And I'm, yeah, obviously you like it. Yeah, but it's about food. So, you know, um, <laughs> that note Scott hits pre-chorus, it's up to her is the, is the lyric. Wow, like just... The, like it's incredible range from Scott as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got uh, Bill's partner at the time, Serena, in the song. Of course, I want a menu. Um, such a weird song from Bill. Yeah. Well, it's not hard to see this song fitting in. Bill wanting to do something more straight ahead, and then materializing on breaking things, perhaps. But it's a little, it's a little mutt lang for me. Yep. Alfredo's gets a mention though. Uh, and then we've got, Hey bug, are you trying to go to sleep? And Scott tells the story of that one, just being annoying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and then breathe by Carl. This one always reminded me of something weird Al would have done. Actually. It's almost like weird Al's doo-wop song. One more minute. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's a great song. Um, speaking of how hot plate doesn't seem like a bill song. This just doesn't seem like a Carl song to me. Just shows mm-hmm. how, how creative these guys all are true artists when you hear Bill talking about how there's going to be a new Descendants album whenever he gets some songs to contribute, I really don't worry about about it because, you know, you just know Carl has some killer songs. Yeah. What a, just a truly excellent and memorable album. Um, oh, the artwork, Ryan. What I assume is a field in Brookfield with Scott's oil painting of, I guess, The Percolator. Mm-hmm. Uh, perfect title for an all- record by the way yep and you know you can go and see some of scott's current artwork and it's reminiscent of this one in terms of color choices and style yeah. you know he's he's a pretty darn good uh, painter as well check out his current stuff yep uh we've got the lettering credited to flathead phillips not not sure who that is We've got the new all logo with the infinity sign, I guess. Wait a second. Hold, hold on a second, buddy. You don't know what Flathead Phillips is? No, what is it? 
Well, look at the words percolator and the screw heads on it. No, I don't know who Flathead Phillips is. Yeah, there's a Flathead screwdriver and a Phillips screwdriver in the words. Yeah, I know. I'm saying I don't know who the <laughs> artist is. Okay, okay. I'm pretty sure sh- it might not be an actual artist. It might be someone in the band. No, no, and, I know that, but I don't yeah. know which, which band member. Okay. That all logo with the infinity sign, I think, is what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Kind of makes me think of the flag of the Métis Nation up here in Canada whenever I see it. Ah, oh, yes. Paul Radabaugh is one of the people credited with live sound. He's the guitarist in Left Insane. No insert on the LP, but the CD and cassette have these photos by Paul Ingold and Tiffany Linnes. Uh, a pretty classic one of the band standing around some old rusted, rusted out gas pumps. Carl's sweater in that picture kind of rivals Scott's jean short shorts in the <laughs> dot video for the ninety for the nineties. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I the gas jockey in the photos um, with the coveralls. That's Mike the Pike. I've always liked the color scheme of the the record with the bright yellow, um, uh, the lettering that you were just talking about with the with the screwdriver um, stuff. That that's on the spine of the cassette, which was always kind of cool. And then Cruise 24, the dot EP, um, came out on 10-inch on purple or pink, came out on cassette with the same songs on both sides and a regular size CD. All songs recorded during the, the Percolator sessions, same mix of dot as far as I can tell, mm-hmm. mixed by John Incoming Hampton, he's credited here. Uh, the Shel Sil- Silverstein song, A Boy Named Sue, of course made famous by Johnny Cash, Kind of up there with Hot Rod Lincoln for me. Yes. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, I assume a Simpsons reference at the end of the song. If I ever have a kid, I'll, I think I'll name him Homer. Yeah, well, it was pretty big back then. Yeah. The real gem is Bill and Carl's song, Can't Say. Relegated to this EP. Too bad. Yeah, interesting that Bill wanted to streamline things. Like, uh, you know, but Scott says that they, they had... Songs like uh, All's Fair, another B-side we'll get to during the Chad era, Birthday I.O.U., and this song, too, they, they chose to leave off, off of Percolator. Yeah, it's an amazing song. Yeah. With this, Ch- it's, it's the reason you get the dot .EP. Yeah. With, it's the reason. With Chad already in the picture, perhaps they were, you know, already planning ahead, maybe. Mm, saving some tracks, yep. right? Yeah, maybe. Okay, so goodbye, Harry. A few a points I want to make. Uh, for one, when I did the interview with Scott, I didn't know it was going to be, uh, I didn't know it was going to go that long. Uh, obviously I'm happy that it did, but, um, I did have a whole bunch of more specific questions about good, the goodbye Harry records. I didn't mean to, to breeze past them, but I was trying to be respectful of Scott's time and also our listeners time. So I know there are listeners out there that are huge fans of these records and probably feel shortchanged that I kind of moved off them so, so fast in the interview, but that's why. Um, and, and then I guess second, we're going to kind of breeze through the, these records at a pretty fast clip here um, for the same reason, time. It's not to suggest in any way that, that these albums aren't great because they really are. Uh, an argument could be made that the Goodbye Harry records deserve a, a standalone episode, maybe. Yeah, maybe. But but here we are. Um, and by the way, if you don't own them, unfortunately, they are not available digitally or streaming, but they're both up on YouTube. You can hear a few of the, these songs on that comp that you mentioned, Live in the Dream. Yep. 
Okay, Cruise 30, 37, Food Stamp Barbecue, 1995, 15 songs on CD, LP, and cassette. Yeah, like my favorites on this record are Habit Check, They, Island, Head Cold is probably my favorite, and then Spit. Those are my favorites. Yeah, Spit, they um, he re-recorded acoustically for Chihuahua and Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, a lot of these songs are much shorter than than the all material most of them are barely over two minutes so you you kind of blink and they're over um head cold was a favorite of mine um super catchy chorus mike's out of control solo is also a highlight um and then the way they the song kind of fizzles out and then that snare crack comes in and they're kind of off again um songs like big little kind of a a ramones type of thing i made me wonder if goodbye harry ever played with like the queers or any of those lookout types of bands Probably. They, they would have fit on a bill for sure. When you hear songs like They, kind of surprised that you don't hear Goodbye Harry mentioned more in comparison to some of those 90s melodic punk bands. Like, I'm not comparing them, but all, you know, this is the era where Green Day and Pennywise were all super huge by this point, you know? Yeah, it's weird, hey? Yeah. A song like Island, when I hear that, interesting to listen to these songs and imagine how all would have played them because they you know a song like that totally would have worked um no slight against the players on this album because they're all great but bill carl and stefan are world class so you know they and they'd also been playing together for years by this point Mm -hmm. so you know i wonder wonder if it was hard for scott to go from such a a well-oiled machine to to kind of starting from scratch I'm, I'm sure in a way it was liberating for him, but... Yeah, probably both. But, you know, it's not his first band that he started up from scratch. Yeah. Oh, the song Oakland, I want to mention. It starts with a quote that's for sure an inside joke. That's Bug um, at the start of that song. Uh, the Tom Petty cover, I Need to Know. That's the first single from Tom Petty's second album, 1978's You're Gonna Get It. Made me think of the excellent new Don't Sleep album, Sea Change. Uh, where Dave Smalley and crew cover Running Down a Dream. Mm-hmm. No big surprise. I mean, both uh, Scott and and Dave are kind of from that era, you know? Uh, the cover photo credited to H. Angel. I hit up Scott for a few extra nugs. It was taken in Port Orchard, Washington. The chef is Jeff Benjamin, who was the band's roadie, and now does lights for Earth, Wind, and Fire. Wow. Uh, the woman is Scott's ex-wife, Melissa Reynolds. Uh, he mentions her in the interview. And the little girl is Scott's daughter, Megan. Uh, Melissa Wright th- uh, took the the back cover photo. That's uh, Melissa's maiden name. This uh, this photo was used for the, uh, the cruise promo photo, which we'll, we'll be posting to Instagram. Uh, that's Artie with the Cid- Citizen Dick t-shirt. Um, I asked Chris Sherry if that's um, his artwork on the back cover. And he said, nope, that's Scott's artwork. And he, when, he, when I was messaging with Scott, he happened to be in Japan. And he sent me back a photo of himself in Japan pointing to uh, a t-shirt with that logo on it, that Goodbye Harry logo. What? Yeah. No way. Yeah. Okay, uh, Cruise 38, I Can Smoke from 1996. What a difference a year makes. Entirely new band. CD only this time. A sign of perhaps that the label was kind of winding down. They only put the the second one out on CD instead of uh, LP Mm. and cassette also. And I think maybe because of that, this one has probably, was probably heard by fewer people, I'm guessing. 
I don't know. It has some great tracks on it, like That Noise and I Don't Mind. Those are probably my two faves. Yeah. Crazy how prolific Scott is and, sti- <laughs> yeah. and still is, you know, no and, doubt. and consistent too. Yeah. Um, uh, the song I Don't Mind, written by Scott and Chris, actually, might want to be one of the most all-sounding songs we've yeah. heard between the two albums. Primarily down to Trevor's riffs, I would say, very Stefan-esque. Um, the song Monster, or is it, it's written in the lyric sheet, Monster Ding Ding, credit to Scott uh, and Megan Reynolds, age four, it says, uh, a, a song that I assume that they wrote together. Mm-hmm. That one's really good. Overall, for me, this one's uh, got the slight edge over Food Stamp, just more consistent. You know, a shame, I would say, that probably less people listen to it uh, just because the label was winding down um, less promo, I'm guessing, with this one. Yeah, for me, Food Stamp has the edge because I've had it the longest because it was easier to get. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. Th- that's probably the only reason. They're both really solid with great songs. Yep. Check this out, Ryan. The cover art by for uh, I Can Smoke by Ryan Loisel, uh, who was the drummer in this band Machine from, I believe, Tacoma. I found a flyer for them opening for the Melvins and Nirvana was also on the bill. They have a so- cool song called Blind Man's Holiday on that No Seattle comp that we talked about last week. Oh, yeah, um, Soul Jazz. Yep. Very kind of Melvins-esque, the band Machine. Uh, so guitarist vocalist of Machine was John Perky. John was in the band Noxious Fumes. How about that? Huh. Another another tie-in from, from the last episode. Um, another question on my list for Scott that I didn't get around to asking him in the interview, uh, but I hit him up afterwards, is uh, on the back cover of this album, which has four girls who were missing at the time, uh, it says stranger abducted. It, it kind of has their, their stats and their photos. Um, I asked Scott what, what that was all about. He said, I had been noticing stuff about missing kids. It just seemed to particularly affect me at the time. I think maybe because I was a new dad. Um, so I asked the guys in the band if it would be okay to do that. And they were all cool with it. So we did in ret- retrospect, it's kind of a bad idea since the same kids are on it 30 years later, but it was worth a try. Yeah, he did that inside the Pavers Local 1500 record as well. Hmm. Some vintage 60s style pop art inside, uh, either drawn by uh, Ryan, the the cover artist, or modified by him, I think, uh, with like the devil on the TV and the kid from the cover uh, photo, um, drawing is on the wall on the inside. Some lyrics. I found some great footage of the band uh, Live in Fredonia, circa 95. You can find that on YouTube of Goodbye Harry. Are we ready to do the ballot result, Ryan? Oh, yeah. Ballot result. Hey, I'm surprised you didn't ask uh, Scott some more follow-up questions about No Means No. Yeah, I know, hey. what? What's the deal, man? <laughs> yeah. Are you pumped to get that No Means No book when it's out? Oh, tch, Yeah. That's going to be insane. Yeah, I can't wait, man. So there are some great songs on those Goodbye Harry records, uh, um, but I have to submit the songs Wonder, Nothing, or Minute, and Dot, I would submit as possible choices for the ballot result. Wonder, Nothing, and Minute are three of my five. I would have put Missouri 63 and Can't Say. So those would be my five, but I'll I'll, uh, defer to you. This is your record, and I would go with any of those three with a maybe a slight edge to wonder. Hmm. I was going to give the slight edge to nothing. 
I, works for me too. This is the opening song on a new ballot result tape, by the way. If that, if that factors in for you. Ah, I All of them. All yeah. of them are good for me, man. Let's do nothing. Okay. Hey, Ryan. Big treat to have Scott on the show, and, and listeners loved it for sure. Um, so thanks again to Scott. Yeah, can't wait for the new record. Truly, can't wait. I think we need a clip of, of Mike Alvarez saying, and that's our show, to drop in at the end of these episodes. And that's our show. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, what's next episode? Next episode, Brant, last one of the year, doing our top tens, and it's SST 262, the Grant Hart, All of My Senses EP. Can't wait. And that's our show. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.